still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, bye 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 Hello again, friends! And you are our friends And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive Through Right here on this beautiful Memorial Day weekend As we are recording, if you are here in the States Happy Memorial Day. If you are one of our international listeners, it's just another day. Congratulations on that. You're alive, and we're alive, and we're here somehow. The day after, double or nothing, we had no idea they meant double the length of an ordinary pay-per-view event. Or nothing, and we went with double. I'm your host, the great Brian Last. We have a review, probably a few questions, maybe some audio, and much more. And of course, the man who will be doing this review, the man who will be answering whatever questions there are, and maybe dancing to the audio, we'll find out. The leader of the cult of Cornette, Mr. Jim Cornette. Oh, Jesus, that introduction was like double or nothing. I never thought it was going to be over. It was double the length it, of it, my ordinary introduction. It, it went in the tank early and swum around for a while, flailing its fins, and never really came back above the surface, and you lied to the people halfway through. How's that? This isn't the day after Double or Nothing. This is still the day that Double or Nothing ended. Oh, you know what? You're right. Technically, you're right. This is day two. It's come up in between, but, but no. this is Yeah, Double or Nothing was two different days, at least in the Eastern time zone. So you've I must correct you, do not lie to our listeners, this is actually still Monday Memorial Day as we're recording this, but it's still the day of Double or Nothing. Fucking hell. I just, right before we went on the air, I peeled a callus off of my hand, and it was more, it entertained me more than some of the things that I saw. You know, it would have been a heck of a, well, I was about to say two-hour show, but I'm not, could they, I got two hours in, if, Maybe. It would have been a good two-hour show. Oh, there was good stuff. We can't say there wasn't good stuff. I just, I don't know what quantity there was in there. It was hidden so well. It was down deep under the peat moss in the bog. But anyway, but it's your, it's your program. I was in a sour mood to begin with. You, you should be in a sour mood. I'm in a You watched that thing. Yeah. You, ladies and gentlemen, I must report to you that Brian Last sat down and started watching that thing at 8 o'clock Eastern Time and and hung with it until its conclusion. And beyond. And let's be honest. And beyond. Let's be honest about some of the things that made it tolerable. On one of the other monitors here in the office, I had the Mets game because they had a 7 p.m. game on a Sunday night, which sucks. Every weekend should be a 1 p.m. game. So I had the Mets game on for a little bit. 
And I had the other thing on and I was determined to see it through. I wasn't going to treat this like a <laughs> dynamite where, okay, I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed and I'll just see the rest on DVR some other time. I was going to see this through. And then I said, you know, what the hell? Let's watch this media scrum thing. It's on their own YouTube channel. Let's see what this is. And I hung through most of that. And what a show that was. That's that was almost as good a show as the actual. Well, I, was about, I heard that the, the media scrum and isn't that what they throw in the water to attract sharks? Scrum. I thought those are cheese doodles. I don't know. I one of those things. And well, and then they throw in the plastic uh, can things for the sharks to hang themselves. But where was I going with that? Oh, the I don't scrum. Know. Yes. The scrum. <laughs> was apparently somewhat for some people more entertaining than the than the uh the scram that came before it but i couldn't do that i had a long day yesterday and i must admit that i'm ashamed of myself and i i'm going to admit what i did on sunday of memorial day weekend i'm going to ask the people for forgiveness i took most of the day off I did some packages in the morning early between 8 and 9.30, but then the Monroe brothers got here because we had yard work to do. And I was going to get them started and let them fritter about with the power saws and things. And I say, you know what? The weather's beautiful, and I have not really gotten out in the yard all this year since it has been. It ain't been beautiful that long. And I've been signing these figures for almost two months. In between and in the meantime and in between time between us doing these shows. And I want to get out there to yard and sweat and work in the soil and the field and till and trim and things so bad. I say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to take four hours. I'm going to take half the day and then I'm going to come in and I'm going to sign some more figures. That's going well. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. So I went out with the Monroes because I got a brand new. I got this last year and never even got to use it. Never got out to get a chance to, to try it out. I got a brand new 20-foot telescoping pole saw slash limb lopper. Do you have a pole saw slash limb lopper, Brian? I have no idea what that even is, no. How do you trim your trees? Well, Julio does that. I don't trim my trees. No, you can't let anybody on your property out there have the power to take, just to just willy-nilly decide on their own what limbs to take out and where. And, and also, even if they're obviously dead, it gives you a feeling of satisfaction to go and do it yourself. That's what, every year I do trim the dogwood. And I mean, I get down to with the cuticle scissors on it. And it gives me a feeling of satisfaction and relaxation. But a telescoping pole saw slash limb lopper is there and this is the mac daddy of all of them boy it, it was the best one they had at, at lowe's it it's a about a six or eight foot pole but it telescopes in two places so it reaches out to 20 feet long and it's got a saw blade on the top of it and then it's got a limb lopper attachment where if the limb is between, oh, say, an inch, inch and a quarter, any thicker than that, you, it won't work. But you hook this over that and you pull this rope and it just cuts right through it. So you can either saw the bigger ones or you can lop the smaller ones. And we got back on the back fence row where they put the new fence in. They're almost finished with that. And I went crazy with the Monroe's able there to, 
grab all the brush and all the limbs and take them up to the brush pile at the driveway because that's what wears me out, that fucking wheelbarrow back and forth all the time. I got out there. I must have done 15 trees. I'm a sawing and I'm a lopping. And I'm a sometimes I'm just grabbing and just knocking dead branches out of the trees with that thing. And I was a whirlwind of motion. And like I said, got probably 12 to 15 trees done all the way across the, the back fence row. All the dead stuff out. It looks beautiful, looks neat. And when I stopped to realize what I had done, I said, boy, that looks good. And I hurt. And once I came inside and took a shower, and I, after all the sawdust had fell in my face, and all the pollen and the spores and everything I'd breathed in, I started hacking a little bit, and then I, I took that hot shower, but then I started cooling off a little bit, and then about an hour after that, I felt like from the bottom of my ears to the top of my thighs, I felt like I'd been hit and beat with a sack of wet hammers. And I continue that feeling today. So I didn't actually get as physically active as I was going to the rest of that. I took most of that the rest of the day off. But I'm back at work here now, and I'm back at work on signing action figures as soon as we get finished. I'm just moving a little slow. But I can't believe you don't have a pole saw and a limb lopper to go out there and maintain your property. So how much more damage does a wet hammer do as opposed to a dry hammer? Well, wet hammers are much more dangerous than dry hammer. With dry hammers, you got a chance. But with wet hammers, they're so soggy. And they just they just wrap right around your skull. A wet limp hammer. That's nothing worse than that. Well, you got your what? Your limp lopper? Whatever it was you said you got? And my limb lopper. Oh, limb yes. lopper, not limp lopper. You ought to say, boy, boom, you pull that rope and it cuts that thing and it falls right on your head. You said you get great satisfaction in doing that? Yes. I would rather, actually, that's the thing that I've enjoyed doing the most of the past probably two weeks or so is out there in my yard cutting dead limbs out of my trees, tidying things up, and getting a feeling of exercise and accomplishment. Until the fucking exercise set in, and I can't raise my arms over my head. And You try holding a 20-foot pole up over your head for four hours and sawing and see what happens. Yeah, no thanks. I get a great feeling of accomplishment standing in my office window, eating some blueberries, listening to jazz, watching Julio and his... Grassmongers. Well, yeah, down thing. by the schoolyard. Yeah. Well, you're a pussy in your fucking blueberries and whatever the fuck you just said. Um, we've got charity. <laughs> Should we do the charitable announcements at the top of the program? Yes. What were you talking about? Blueberries? Yeah, well, let's do the charity stuff before you run everyone off. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, I'm pleased to announce that I don't have uh, up-to-date figures because the feather bottoms have been off for the holiday weekend. But we are at, on the Sin t-shirt, uh, raising money for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org. Uh, between the shirt sales and the matching and all the kick-ins and everything, we're around $2,000 on that. And I encourage everybody still, they are available. Go to jimcornett.com for the I'm a Sin Guy t-shirt, the first official Sin merchandise in the past 15 years. 100% of the proceeds, all the shirt sales, plus I will match all that, plus 
Jacked up Jeremy Bagley is kicking in. Uh, we mentioned Lee Petrie and John Fell and Hot Rod Esty. And now, um, oh golly, a couple of other people are well, more names to come, but everybody's kicking in on this. What are you matching? Uh, I'm sorry. What are you matching? I'm matching the shirt sales. However many much we do in shirt sales, I will match that. You know what? Count me in too. I'll do that too. What are you? Are you saying you're going to buy a shirt or you're going to match all? No, the I'll shirts? match it too. I'll match oh. it too. Well, now I might give you some crooked bookkeeping oh, on fuck that. Fuck you! I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> no, come back. I in. match nothing. Come back in. All right, now now it's become a way to fucking put financial burden on both me and the great Brian Last. So now that you've said that, somebody, some wise ass is going to order a thousand shirts. We'll see what happens. But anyway, that's at jimcornette.com. And folks, our long national nightmare is coming to an end shortly uh, with the action figures. Uh, I'm down to like the last 250 individual orders. I apologize if by the luck of the draw, you happen to be. Here was the thing. We sold like 1,800 of these figures in 72 hours. So it's not like that anybody was getting a big priority. They just went in in a big pile, and then we separated based on this figure, that figure, or the other figure, or both figures, or whatever, and we're trying to knock these things out. But it's happening very soon, within the next 12 days. I calculate that I will be able to get this stuff out. So the Sin T-shirt's doing well. The action figures are being closed up shortly. And also, this coming weekend, June the 4th and 5th, is Crusade for Children weekend here in Louisville, Kentucky, and all over Kentucky, Anna. And we talk about it every year. It's whascrusade.org. And if you're, well, we've got new listeners from last year, but we've done several things for the Crusade uh, over the years, including, uh, you know, this is still something that Shitstein can point to with pride. The only thing that he ever wrote that drew money was the restraining order against me that we raised over $5,000 for the Crusade for Children with a, a few years ago. So I haven't had time to do a fundraiser for the Crusade because I'm still signing these action figures, but we're getting that out of the way. But I will have at jimcornette.com a Crusade fundraiser next month that I think will tickle some people. But in the meantime, next weekend is the telethon, but they take donations all year round so be sure to watch the oldest largest most successful local fundraising event in the united states the whas crusade for children and and also god this is i'd heard that don west had a bout with cancer uh here sometime back and that he was doing better then apparently the cancer returned it's brain cancer and so now he's undergoing uh, treatment again for this, and a GoFundMe has been set up for him. And I don't, I don't usually plug GoFundMe's just because there's so many, and where, you know, where does it end? And it's usually, if you live in this country, it's about medical expenses because we have no health care or, you know, limited access to same. Um. But there, I don't want to leave anybody out, but I wanted to go out of my way to do this one. Uh, just because, you know, Don West, 
I don't think a lot of the fans probably ever got a chance to meet him. He only worked in TNA, and if unless you went to, you know, the TNA events either in Orlando or occasionally when they went on the road, it's not like he went on the fan fest, you know, uh, uh, circuit incessantly over the years, and he didn't spend a long time in wrestling. Is related to a lot of us because he got in it late. But Don's one of the nicest guys that you could ever meet in your life. He's fucking hilarious in person. He and Mike Tanay, along with Dutch Mantell, made my stint in TNA palatable, to say the least, and talked me off of a couple of ledges. But he wasn't a uh, he wasn't a trained wrestling announcer, and he didn't know anything about the inside of wrestling necessarily. When he got started, and some of the fans gave him shit for that, but he wasn't like one of these guys that the WWF tries out that, ah, you know, I'll do this wrestling, put it on my resume. He was always respectful to the guys and the business he wanted to learn. He was a natural salesman. He just needed to learn how to apply that, you know, to, to wrestling, but he was always respectful and didn't ever want to do anything to make the business look bad or say anything I should say or whatever. And, um, you know, just hope he and his, his wife, Terry, um, they, uh, they've been together for a long time. There's a picture of them up, up on the GoFundMe. And I just, you know, I hope that this treatment this time around, things will turn out well for him, but Obviously, there's expenses related, and I think they've already raised something like $35,000. And here's another reason I'm plugging this now, besides the fact I just heard about it. Brian, Scott Demore has said that anybody, any donations from now until this coming Friday, he will match. So if anybody he will wants match to possibly, or impact will match? No, he'll match. Oh, wow. You'll match. So if anybody ever wants to cost Scott Demore a dollar or two, this would be the perfect time to do it, and it'll go to a good cause at the same time. So that's why I want to cost Scott Demore some money. So I'm asking all of the members of the Cult of Cornette, if you got a chance, even if it's a dollar, my God, that would be a quarter of a million dollars. If everybody that will hear this in some fashion or form just gave Don West a dollar, it would raise him a quarter of a million dollars and bankrupt Scott Demore. So let's go for, let's be charitable all we can this week, folks. And you can go to GoFundMe.com and it's it, obviously just look up Don West. You'll see a picture of him. But anyway. See, I know him more, even though he did TNA for years, I know him more from Shop at Home, from baseball cards. When I was, you know, a teenager, collecting yeah. baseball cards and be ready to go to bed. And there he was screaming at me on my TV, <laughs> Mark McGuire, rookie cards! Yeah, it was great though. You couldn't turn it off. He would just, he would draw you in and then he would talk to some guy, some Fukakta expert. I don't know who this fucking guy was authenticating everything, but Don West was fantastic on there. And that's the way he tells a story. He's just got so much life and so (laughs) much energy. And they, they, he was what, two or three times they parodied him on Saturday Night Live off of the home shopping thing. And uh, but anyway, but yeah, he's he's fucking hilarious. I sincerest best wishes to Don and and let's fucking put Scott Demore in the poorhouse. Maybe that should be the campaign. He has no idea I'm doing that, by the way. He's probably thinking I picked a great week to quit sniffing glue and start matching donations. Do you think they would raise more money if it was less about Don and more about fuck Scott Demore? <laughs> 
not sure. It might be either, <laughs> either or. But here's a chance to do something good either way it goes. Will, right? those, will those donations come from America or Canada mostly? What do you think? Um, well, I don't know. It could be. Many of them may come from the Demore family. Although, no, they, they'd be in the will if something happens to Scott. They, they wouldn't want to give away their own potential future money. Well, let's help Don West. I guess that's the point of this. Yeah, whole. yeah. Let's help Don West. <laughs> All right, it's your it's your program. Yeah. Have you heard about? Uh, should should we mention this now? I just i I love uh, CM Punk's theme music, and apparently a lot of other people do also. But apparently, not everybody, even those close to CM Punk. As close as three feet in this instance, not everybody knows exactly the meaning of CM Punk's music. Have you heard about this? Did you see this clip? I did see this clip. In general, I hate the whole car karaoke thing. I hate that James Corden guy. So I didn't really want to see the thing, but the one isolated clip was going around and I was quite surprised by it. Well, yeah, folks, for those of you who haven't seen it, somebody said it to me. I didn't watch the program, and I'm not sure when it aired, but somebody sent me the clip on Twitter. Just take a look at this, and it's Punk's in the car, and Britt Baker's in the car, and who was Adam Cole up front, or who, where was... Uh, Danielson. I, Danielson. Well, I guess Cole and Punk wouldn't be, but yeah, well, who knows these days. But anyway, there were, uh, Danielson was in the car, and somebody else was in the car. Christian. Christian, there you go. Thank you. Christian, Danielson, Punk, and Britt Baker. One of these things is not like the other. And they're singing Cult of Personality, and they get to like Mussolini! And Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, says, What's Mussolini? <laughs> Like it's an, a kind of oatmeal or a or a version of pasta, like semolina, <laughs> Mussolini, fucking cream of wheat. What the? She's a dentist, but it was serious because they made fun of it too. And she she asked it in such a way it wasn't like who's Mussolini, it was what's Mussolini. Mussolini is a thing. Did you see Danielson's reaction? Yes. <laughs> it was the same way it I was reacted. The same one as mine. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and again, she's a dentist. She's a graduate of a major university. Yeah. How many history courses do you think she took? I, apparently not as, maybe as many as she ought to have. But, uh, but I just, uh, that was a, everybody wanted to know what I thought of that clip. And uh, I'd like my Mussolini. With Alfredo, please. <laughs> I was so surprised by that. I mean, I guess there's certain figures and certain events you just kind of think are basic history. Like within the last hundred years, things that happened on a world stage for many years <laughs> with these figures that were around for a long time that had notable endings. You would think that these were the things that everyone would know about. But no, I guess there are people who don't know that history. Uh, and those who do not know history or learn from it are doomed to repeat its mistakes. And boy, howdy, that applies to everybody. I have nothing else on the Mussolini. I just, it's, it's just, it, you know. Like Mussolini's head, we will roll on here with the show. 
And there's a lot to go over. Are there any other topics you want to go over before the Double or Nothing review? And then we'll um, get to whatever we can afterwards. But is there any yeah, non-AEW well, stuff you want to go over? Well, you know, big, big shakeups in the executive world in the WWE. You've heard about this, right? You've read about this. One, One's out, one's in. Surprising last names. They've passed uh, two ships passing in the night. There are now as many Jarrett's working in the WWE as there are McMahon's. Did you ever think that day would come? It's quite surprising, isn't it? Jeff Jarrett has been named, and rightfully so, and this is probably the most brilliant thing that they've done in a long time. Jeff Jarrett has been named the Senior Vice President of Live Events. He is in charge now of promoting... Not, and, and live events, folks, remember that takes into account the television tapings also because TV tapings are live events in the place that they're happening. So he, and, and who better, who else in the world today has not only the still the passion for it and the love for it, but the knowledge of it to be able to promote live wrestling events? Because this has been, a, you know, even when I was there 25 years ago, they had, they called them market reps. Ed Cohen was the guy that was in charge of booking all the, the buildings and the arenas and the tour schedule and where the pay-per-views were going to be in the whole nine yards. And under him, he had local promoters that were market reps. And and the big one was Bob Collins. He was the guy that got all the WrestleManias and promoted all of those. He was the, you know, the guy with the seniority and that they gave the, the heavy stuff to. But there were other market reps in various markets. Sometimes they would farm it out to a, a local person like Jack Koshik up in Milwaukee because uh, Jack promoted concerts and independent wrestling and you know, metal festivals, all he was a promoter. So sometimes it would be the guys like that, but most often it would be market reps and they meant well, but they promoted every market out of the same playbook. They would promote every town, every building, every arena, everything. They would, they would do the same things they did everywhere, right? Cause they thought they were promoting the WWF at that time product everywhere. And obviously we all as wrestling fans know that every market is different. Every part of the country it was different. Every place you, know, you could get to those people in different means and advertising in different ways. At one time, this was 20 years ago. I was already back in OVW. Ed Cohen called me and had me come down to Memphis to a, a, uh, market marketing rep and promotion and building i think the reason they were all there was an arena meeting but all the market reps were in town and he wanted me to sit down for two or three hours with them and talk to them about how to promote wrestling events and be cognizant of your market and what special things they're into they didn't know you know if if you want to promote milwaukee get the fucking crusher to do an autograph session and the news will come out or something because the news at that time may not have given a shit about wrestling. They had more important things happen back in those days or, you know, in some way create local awareness 
find out where your radio stations are that have fans, not just the ones you want to spend money with. And, you know, things like that. And it's been a problem because, you know, all this time they don't find people who have an innate knowledge of wrestling and then have them promote the live events. They find people to work in the, in the company and then teach them how to promote wrestling. So with Jeff, who has more experience, probably anybody, not only the companies he started, but growing up in the business and all the other things that he's into, because he's got that drive, whether it be the minor league baseball or whatever the fuck, he talks to people, he finds ways to put shit together. If he can assemble his own team or whip some of them into shape, I would suggest to you that regardless of whether the shit product gets any better or not, they'll have a lot more people in the buildings because they've got someone who actually has expertise in promotion and product knowledge from every direction in the ring, outside the ring, running the show, whatever. So, you know, there was supposed to be a Jarrett running the WWF 30 years ago. Could it be that we we just we're finally coming back around to where it happens? No, I just think you know certain people are getting their friends' jobs. Well, but now think about this: there are more. There is as many Jarrets <laughs> working in senior positions in the WWE now as there are McMahon's. Right. We're now we're at one each, and Jarrett is twenty five years younger than Vince. What and and you've heard the the rumors of Stephanie, her leave of absence. I heard. That, well, well, I mean, we discussed on well, the, the show. leave of absence is not a rumor. She's taken right. that, but the the rumors now that are swirling about about why she decided to do that. I have not heard rumors about why. I mean, we've all opined about why we think it could be, but is there a firm story that's going around now? Well, there's not a firm story, but that you know you're smelling things, and when we you know when you smell something, it's generally fire or a fart, one or the other. Apparently, she took over some of... Remember when Michelle Wilson got shown the door? She was one of the high-ranking executives. Wasn't she one that Vince got up on the wrong side of the bed that day and fired her and put Nick Khan in? George Berrios was the other one that went with Michelle. Both of them went at the same time, and then Nick Khan took over. Yes. So apparently, Stephanie absorbed some of Michelle Wilson's duties, and all of a sudden, as an executive in a major publicly traded company, she wasn't just running around riding herd over the writing staff or, you know, being the billionaire princess. She was actually expected to do, like, whether it be wrestling business or anything else, high-level executive shit. And apparently, from what people are internally have been supposedly saying she wasn't getting rave reviews for that. So she might have got her nose in a snoot and said, well, hey, my husband was at death's doorstep, and I was ready to push him right on through, and I was still working, and you didn't appreciate it, so now I'm going to go home and spend some time with my family and adopt the, could this be the Bret Hart I'll go home and let Shawn Michaels twist in the wind and then come back to save the day uh, theory or 
I think someone's going to have to come save the day. I don't know if it'll be Stephanie, and I don't know who's going to champion for Stephanie. Is it going to be Nick Khan? Is he going to go, you know, we really need Stephanie back? No matter what the problem is, are they going to want to get their own people and staff their own people as opposed to someone who is a McMahon? And there's something that goes with that no matter what role they have in that company. I always thought the best role for her was the chief brand officer gig. Because respectfully, and I know there are legitimate chief brand officers, but from my experience, it's a jerk-off position. It's literally the position you give the daughter of the boss. I think like the Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones' daughter is the chief brand <laughs> officer. Stephanie was the chief brand officer. What well, does remember, that mean? remember Brandy. Was Brandy. The chief Brandy officer. Hey, why, don't, why isn't Brandy up for the position of replacing Stephanie? She's got the experience more than anyone else, but anyway. That's what the position is. You go out, you speak, you say, Andre the Giant's my best friend. We do great things. We put smiles on faces. We want to work with your charity. You represent the brand. That's it. She was good at that. She was good at that. You can't deny that. But in terms of executive duties in the office, I've never heard anyone say what a great executive Stephanie is. So apparently, uh, she wants to create some space for people to start saying that. The question is, are a lot of people going to be saying that? We shall find out. But mark my words, Jeff Jarrett will be climbing the ladder. <laughs> that would be the... When, when whatever fucking Megalon Corporation Mach 3 buys this fucking thing, and they decide, you know, we ought to install Jeff Jarrett as the top wrestling guy what a reversal that would be what a disaster that'll be no now wait a minute you mean to tell me that you think that jeff jarrett if he had sole control would be responsible for a worse wrestling product than the wwe is currently foisting off on us i don't think it would be a worse product i also don't think it would be a very good product and i've not seen much from jeff jarrett from from the shit i've seen over the last 25 years I have not seen enough that makes me think he's someone who should be leading wrestling to the next level. I think you need younger people. I think you need new people. And I think the problems, and I think Jeff is the most capable of the bunch. I'll say that. And he's useful. But the problems I think right now in wrestling are the system in WWE with the John Laurinaitis's and the Bruce Pritchard's and the Jeff Jarrett's, the career guys. And again, Jeff's more capable than both of those guys put together. But I think you need a complete change and a complete shift, and it has to be generational, too. Well, who's going to drop down and shit this guy that you're looking for out? I'm not going to sit here and <laughs> start uh, advocating for certain people, but I don't think that's the answer. What, what I'm saying is when shit is, in, is gone as sideways as all of this, at least look for people that you know won't suck. Yeah. Speaking of people who won't suck. <laughs> yeah, who's that? <laughs> that would be, what, three of the people on this pay-per-view. I don't know. It's your show. I'm just following you. I'm here to do your bidding. So AEW, AEW, double <laughs> or nothing. There's too many W's and doubles back to back there. But unlike previous AEW pay-per-view events, there wasn't much of a pre-show live in the arena. They aired a lot of the pre-tape packages, well, which are fuck. great. The, goddamn, every man in the arena would have needed to shave after the third match if they'd have done a pre-show. Well, I meant to say that maybe some of the matches that were on the main show traditionally would have been on the pre-show. It's just everything got pushed to the main show to extend the main show, which Tony <sighs> Khan explained was part of a strategy. Uh, should we talk about that ahead of time? 
his strategy for what he did, and you can try to explain it to me. Okay. Or not. I, I, okay. Oh, I, I thought oh, you were going to start talking, and then I would explain. But here is what, from what I gather, Tony Khan figured out, and we have some audio we'll play later in the show. Tony Khan figured out that due to the basketball game being a big deal, there was a chance to get late buys. Because if the main event and a couple of the higher profile matches are later in the show, there are people who will finish the NBA game, need something to do, just happen to have $50 in their pocket, and want to see a couple of the matches, including CM Punk, who's the biggest star in the company. And that was part of his strategy. He also talked about the fact that UFC's big fights, the main events, and it happens in boxing too. Those don't go on usually until very late. And again, this was part of the strategy. And the only thing I didn't understand was Tony Schiavone on air pushing, you still got time to be a part of this. Yeah, I'm a part of this. I bought the pay-per-view event. Yeah, you still have time to watch the show where I'm speaking to you now. Who else would be hearing this, Tony? But no, but here's the thing. Let me ask you this. Has it ever happened in history that somebody finished watching a free basketball game on television and said, oh, you know what? That pay-per-view that I could have bought and recorded in its entirety before this is still on, so I'm going to now buy it for the same price to watch the main event match only. Has anybody ever... If you're going to watch, you either record one or both, and you watch one live and one after, or both, or whatever the fuck, but has it ever been a thing where this dipshit kept this show going and going and going until the basketball game was over with before he would start his main event. And it was quarter to fucking one in the morning in the Eastern time zone before this thing wrapped up. And yes, UFC fights and a lot of boxing matches do that because the same they're in Las Vegas too and they don't give a shit. But also, nobody w buys a boxing match or boxing card especially, or usually a UFC card, to see anything but the main event. Does anybody even advertise the goddamn undercard on a boxing pay-per-view? Or do they give a shit? Well, maybe the top two preliminary, I shouldn't say preliminary, top two matches before the main event, but most yeah, of the preliminary matches, you have no idea until you get there what's going on unless you're a hard What Is there thing. any feasible way that anybody said, oh, now that the basketball game is over with, I'll pay full price for 25% of the pay-per-view that I'd already decided not to buy? I will say this. No one's ever done it before. And if it works, it's going to be very, very interesting. Because it says a lot about how people spend their money. And we know wrestling fans, they're less now than before, but they spend more than ever before. This will be interesting about how they spend and what they're willing to spend on. And if this works, this does say something about strategy for the future. I'll play you again audio later on. Tony Khan apparently really thought a lot about this <laughs> and has numbers to back it up. So we'll see if this works or not. But this was seemingly a strategy. Oh, Christ. All right, well... But no pre-show. Very little on the pre-show, I should say. Well, I tuned in at the start of the program that they presented as a pay-per-view, double or nothing. I don't care about the pre-show. I don't care about the post-show. 
And as an offer, after I watched this thing, I would take nothing instead of double because Jesus. They bookended the thing with what everybody wanted to see first and last, and in the middle, it just wouldn't fucking stop. And But and should we talk about MJF's match before we talk about his no-show and near-walkout or fly-out or... <laughs> Why don't we talk about the match first and then we could talk about what became one of the biggest story. Well, it became the biggest story of the entire weekend. Let's talk about the match first. Well, the match was MJF and Wardlow. Obviously Wardlow had gone through all the challenges. He had survived everything that Spears and all of the hitmen had tried to, you know, come after him with. And now it's MJF and Wardlow. And if you watch this match in a vacuum, not knowing, oh, there'd been drama beforehand, there continues to possibly be drama afterwards, it still worked. It worked both ways. This could have either been the blow-off to this angle, and then MJF will have a brilliant idea of how to resurrect himself, or it could have been the burial, and there's no resurrection. It worked either way to me, because what else are you going to do? At this point, they put Wardlow through so much gaga that he had to come out and be dominant. And I'm, at this point, I'm thinking MJF is such a fucking heel. He can, with all the shit that he did and the attention was still on him through this whole thing, it was on him trying to escape. It was on him trying to get an advantage. It was on him Though the referee sees him, he can't use the ring. It he just his his reactions and everything he did. The people are chanting "asshole." You know the fucking. Uh, <laughs> at one point they chanted, "He showed up. He showed up." But he's got heat. Wardlow is incredibly over. He's the one guy because he shows that emotion, and they've allowed him to break loose and get over. So I think th this worked no matter what's going on behind the scenes, but it was short and it really couldn't have gone any other way anyway. Every time that MJF tried to do something, Wardlow foiled it. Every time he thought that Wardlow finally got his hands on MJF, he would eye poke or whatever the fuck or in some way get out of it until finally... They did that spot where the, the MJF was selling, but he, he got the ring out from his tights and put it on, but the referee was standing right behind him and grabbed it and took it off. And then, of course, MJF, MJF offers him triple pay and a handshake, which gets him a boot and a power bomb. When's the last time a power bomb got a pop like that? The Attitude Era, probably. And then it, from there, he just did, MJF just sold and Wardlow did the slow milk. Powerbomb two, powerbomb three, four and five, the foot on the chest and broke his own cover at two, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. Foot on the chest, one, two, three. And they stretchered MJF out with the neck brace and oxygen mask. The only thing I couldn't figure the fuck out is then Tony brings Wardlow to the entranceway 
And they announced that because he's won, now he has a contract. He's all elite. And Wardlow didn't say a goddamn word. Tony just walked off and left him standing there to wave at the people. He didn't need to do the Gettysburg Address, but he couldn't go 30 seconds like, finally, my time has come and you'll never see anything like what's coming up. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever the fuck. Just bleh. They either let the talent talk incessantly or not at all. But, um... I mean, what else could they have done here even if there wasn't drama going on with MJF? And and is it smart that now everybody's talking about the drama about MJF instead of the fact that MJF just got beat? <laughs> no, it's very smart. It reminded me a lot of, um, for very different reasons, SummerSlam 91, Brett versus Mr. Perfect. Because it felt weird watching it, and as a kid we didn't realize that was the last time we were going to see Mr. Perfect for a little while. Was his last match? Kind of felt like that here. It felt a little detached. Like it felt like MJF, it was his last match for a while, and it clearly it was. They finished up a lot of stuff. Taking the ring off his finger, finished up everything with him in the ring from the very beginning of AEW. He's finally lost his ring. <laughs> they couldn't have put Wardlow over more. No. I mean, 10 power bombs. I was feeling for MJF after a few <laughs> ten. Well, power he bombs. was feeling after a couple of them. Do you notice he there was a couple of them hands went back? Like, oh Jesus Christ, not this again. And by the way, whatever anyone wants to say about MJF and the events of this weekend, Wardlow gets put over this way because MJF put him over this way. Yeah. This isn't a booker saying you have to do this. MJF doing ten power bombs says a lot about him taking care of Wardlow. Him getting wheeled off. I mean, it was like a goodbye for now until whatever happens, happens. Whatever's really going on behind the scenes and whatever isn't, it seemed like a farewell for a while of MJF. And how could I miss you if you don't go away? He's had a great <laughs> year. Ever since the Jericho thing, he's had a, a Hall of Fame year, just a tremendous year. And everyone's intrigued to see what's going to happen next. And no one's going to remember the fact that he got killed with 10 power bombs whenever he comes back, wherever that is, and everyone will remember that Wardlow destroyed MJF and it won't hurt MJF. So it all worked out for the best for everyone involved, at least as far as on air, whatever behind the scenes, that's a whole nother story. Well, and here's the thing. Everybody's saying, okay, have negotiations broken down or relationships broken down between Tony and MJF and they're not speaking and blah, blah, blah. And somebody even put out before the he MJF no showed the the fan fest that they had the day before, right? He was supposed right. to be there. They'd sold photo ops and everything. He was not there, and apparently that was of his own volition. However, the word going around was that he no showed, and also that he wasn't picking up his phone. Oh my God, she's boy. <laughs> You know, a lot of these people should have lived back in the day when you didn't know where whether a motherfucker was within 200 miles of your building until he walked in and there was no way to find out. Not picking up his phone. But then the, the story went out that after that, he had booked a flight for himself uh, out of Las Vegas and was going to no-show the match, and it, that turned out to be a bunch of fucking horse shit. But it got people speculating. So then uh, people are like, okay, have 
have all these relations between Tony and MJF really broken down or are Tony and MJF working us all? You, and, heard, you heard a lot of that. You heard a lot of the Brian Pillman comparisons this right. weekend. But here's the problem, I think. I'm not saying that none of this is a work. I'm just saying I can't imagine that Tony Khan would be in on it. Because the one thing, if you were trying to successfully fool anybody, the public, whoever, the fans, the fucking employees, whoever you're trying to fool, you wouldn't let Tony Khan in on it. Because he's neither a good enough actor, nor is he... I mean, he, he was vaccinated with a phonograph needle. He's a blabbermouth. <laughs> and also... Phonograph needle. Well, um, I mean, you know, it, it, and to be quite honest, if I was MJF, I would realize that Tony Khan is probably the easiest one to sucker into this thing. And once he believes it, everybody else will believe it too. So... There could be some of this that's a work, and, and it could not be, but I I don't believe that Tony is uh, anything more than an interested bystander in whatever is happening here. And I'll say one thing. Again, I don't want to spoil anybody's business, or I don't want to uh, blame anybody uh, without reason, but from my experience with MJF in MLW, he's professional. He's a smart, one of the smartest guys in the locker room, maybe not smart to every nuance of wrestling for the last 80 years. I'm talking about just intelligence. He's smart, he's professional, and he's not going to fuck around and be a goddamn diva. So if he is legitimately incensed or miffed at Tony Khan, I would say he's got a pretty good reason for it. And in that case, I'm on his side. And He's proven to me that he's not only a talent, but he's intelligent. He gets what wrestling's supposed to be. Tony has proved none of those things. So whether work or shoot, I'm on MJF's side. Tony Khan was asked for a comment during the press scrum after uh, AEW Double or Nothing, and he did not have comment. He said he's not going to comment on that. So whatever's happening, it, unless he's a master worker, it appears that Tony Khan's not fully happy with and fully aware of exactly what's going on, but he might not be a master worker, but he might be a master baiter. I said, when we talked about this previously on the show, I hope this doesn't play out for the next two years, 18 months, whatever it is. And hopefully whatever all of this is, it plays out within the next couple of months and it results in either he is extended with more money or he is somehow a free agent and good luck, let's see what happens. But there has to be some sort of resolution, especially now. I mean, you know, the thoughts I had this whole weekend were Brian Pillman, were Shawn Michaels in 93 when he, you know, started having problems and disappeared. Not that there's any drug issues or anything here, but, you know, sometimes these guys, when they're really, really good and on top of their game and, and they disappear for a while, it's an interesting move. Piper. I mean, Piper was one of those guys that stand up for himself and disappear for a little bit. What do you, how do you think this is going to play out? I I mean, again, I don't know because I haven't been in the middle of the conversations with these two. But obviously, MJF is somewhat offended because he's one of the major draws on the program, despite the fact that apparently he's still working on whatever contract he signed to begin with, which is paltry compared to the soaking 
that Tony has taken from either the names that he signed or the people that the fucking EVPs that he fell for told him were names. And, you know, and now the, the salary structure is way out of whack between the people actually drawing the money of the ratings, the interest, and people that are goddamn candidates for the side of a milk carton because nobody gives a shit where they are, right? So that's a problem, but if you bring, if you're MJF and you bring that up, and then Tony says, all right, I'll, I'll renegotiate with you, but you got to sign for a longer period of time and you don't want to do that because you might be worth even more money in two or three years. You know, then there's there's got to be a happy middle somewhere, but Tony has worked himself into a position. I'm not talking working in a working way. I'm talking about he's, he's, he's worked at this. He's worked hard at, at putting himself in a corner where he's paying guys ridiculous amounts of money and a couple are worth it and several more are laughably not. And now he's got to figure out how to keep all of them from wanting more money when he gives a guy that's a real talent and a boon to his company more money. You know, part of the problem, so I, part of the problem, I think, too, based on all the reports we're seeing publicly, Tony should have ripped up MJF's contract six months into the company and done this. Yeah. Now's not the time because now we're so close to the end of the contract, 18 months, and we're, you know, every day it's getting closer. And I guess that's my question for you. Do you see any way that MJF gets a raise without an extension? Well, right now, maybe not. But if there is a giant clamor for him and or numbers and or things start to go down, then there might be. But at the same point, does... Every once in a while, a super-duper surprise will move their number up, but never above the cap until they spring the surprise, and then everybody's either let down or it's all downhill from there, and they go back to their same numbers. By the same token, will anything make their numbers go appreciably down, or are these people just going to watch this shit if their house is on fire and the baby's drowning in the bathtub? You know, it's it's hard to say about this company. There's never been a more devoted audience, but it's also a limited one. And people who liked wrestling in the past, they try to watch this thing, but it's so fucking hokey, goofy, funny, fake, sissy, whatever. And, I mean, is anybody, are they making any new fans for this type of, whatever they call this type of fucking wrestling or is it pretty much just the people that are that are there i you know so i don't know if losing anybody or gaining anybody can ma have a massive effect on the business at this point it could have a massive effect on the show and that's kind of what i'm thinking about oh yeah but the show sucked before many times right but mjf usually has the best segment on the show and it's usually the segment with either the highest ratings or the second to highest ratings on almost yeah. every single show they're going into this new relationship with their partners, the new people at Turner. I've heard previously that old management loved MJF. He was like one of the wrestlers that they loved. I heard that from someone in the building, not someone from the <laughs> wrestling side. So that's one of the things I'm thinking about too. You know, when, um, when NBC renewed Saturday night's main event, 
And Bobby Heenan was commentating because Jesse was gone. Vince wouldn't let him do Predator, and Jesse said, I'm doing it, and left. Vince wasn't going to bring him back. NBC demanded him. We got this show because we expect Jesse Ventura as one of the commentators. He's one of the stars of Saturday night's main event. Again, that's the way the NBC people saw it. We don't know the way the people, the new management over there, the way they see someone like MJF. Well, TBS in 1989, without Flair, the deal wouldn't have been done. And Flair didn't know this until after the fact, but the deal wouldn't have been done because Flair was the only wrestler that Ted Turner actually still recognized and remembered as being a star. So things like that happen. I have a feeling if you had introduced him to Missy Hyatt, that deal would have been done. Well, but it would have taken longer, and he would have, but where's Ann? Ann Gunkel, where's Ann? I don't know. I'm not even saying he had to do anything. I just say, introduce him. <laughs> Deal's done. <laughs> but I think this whole thing, hopefully it plays out soon just because there's only so much we could take for so long. We kind of want the drama to go away, and we could focus on the on-screen drama, wouldn't you say? Well, actually, no, because the on-screen drama is the shits compared to the backstage drama. I'd like to focus on that exclusively. We wouldn't have to watch the television program. Well, we did watch the television program, of course, it being double or nothing. But around this point in the show, I was starting to get hungry. I was thinking, you know, I'd really like to have a hot dog and a hamburger and something else, anything else but this show. Were you getting hungry? You know, you went right to the hot dogs and hamburgers because it's Memorial Day weekend, but you should have gone, Brian, straight to your favorite, the bacon-wrapped fillets. You used to try to eat filet mignon at least three days a week until you got busy with children and an empire. But folks, it is. It's Memorial Day weekend. Father's Day is right around the corner. What does that have in common? Everybody wants to grill out. Everybody wants steaks, meat, cattle byproduct. That's what I want. As a matter of fact, today, as soon as we finish recording this program, I am having, and so is Stacy. I'm going to give her some too, bacon-wrapped fillets from Omaha Steaks with some shrimp cocktail and a big old baked potato and some of the Omaha Steaks delicious caramel apple tartlets for dessert. And that's why I'd like for this program to be over with so I could get started grilling. But folks, if you want to make sure that your dad can grill for Mother's Day, actually, whether the dad in your life is a dad, a brother, an uncle, a son, or whatever, dads want steaks. And right now, Omaha Steaks has the Dads Want Steaks package. For just $99, this limited-time package includes 16 mouth-watering entrees. And I'll tell you what, Brian, I've had problem with mouth-watering in the past. And sometimes you, you actually, if you lean into the car to talk to somebody, sometimes you'll just drool on them. It's amazing how that happens. But I think about these steaks and these gourmet jumbo franks and the chilled boneless chicken breasts. And right now, folks, if you go to omahasteaks.com and type JCE in the search bar, and order the Dad's Want Steaks package for Father's Day, you're going to get free eight Omaha Steaks burgers. And they're bigger than ever. They used to be a quarter pound. Now they're six ounces each, which is significantly more than a quarter pound. It's actually more than a third of a pound. It's less than a half a pound. It's somewhere in the middle, but they're fucking big. Bigger than ever. And plump. 
you know, these Jumbo Franks, they're plump too. And I always like fat Franks instead of teeny weenies. Well, you know, that's, that's the problem in the world. There's too many teeny weenies and not enough fat Franks. Well, despite whatever innuendos you're making there, I will say their hot dogs, their Frankfurters are fantastic. We had them the other day. I couldn't believe how good they are. We're actually ordering more. You're actually ordering more? Well, I can believe that. Right away. That yeah. all the time. Right away we're ordering more. Right away. We I didn't even have the filet mignon yet. All right, Kobayashi, you entered into the hot dog eating contest. Anyway, as we mentioned, go to omahasteaks.com, type JCE into the search bar, the Dads Want Steaks package. You will get 16 entrees and four desserts, plus eight free Omaha Steaks burgers that I've mentioned are sizably larger than a quarter of a pound. That's omahasteaks.com, keyword JCE for the Dads Want Steaks package. I just thought of something, Brian. If all of your children and Swami all get you the Dad's Want Steaks package, that means you will get 16, 13, 64, 80 entrees and 16 fucking caramel apple tartlets and 40 free burgers. Oh, I'll see you in the fall. No, I won't. You're going to stay right here with me for the rest of this show. I watched this because of you. I watched something I wasn't going to watch on this because of you. What do you mean because of me? Well, you're the one I can blame right now. Anyway. Thanks. The next match was another of our dream matches. Jim Ross actually had to say this line. Arguably, at least he threw that in, arguably the two best teams of the last generation. Would you... (sighs) The Hardy Boys were over, but would you even stretch that to say that they were one of the two best teams of the last generation. And obviously their opponents, come on. Yeah, they're the EVPs of this company. Yeah, I wasn't a big Hardy Boys fan, so it wouldn't be what I would say. Well, no, 20 years ago, and yes, there was too much risk-taking, etc., but they were over and they could go. And it, but uh, again, the best. All right. And then the Hardly Boys. Um, I hate it when I'm right, but Brian, how right was I when I said they need to reunite the Hardy Boys and pull the trigger on the big match first before they see the Hardy Boys actually wrestle? Yeah, we should have seen this match early on. Because <laughs> the best part of this was getting to hear Caprice Coleman on color. Thankfully, I, they're they're going to keep him around, apparently. Go let, ahead. Let me say something. He came on during this, the second match, and I figured he was only going to be there one match. I don't know why it was this match, but I wish he was there the whole night. He brought such a different angle and dimension to this, a seriousness, an insight, and the problem is the rest of that booth. I'm not an Excalibur fan. I don't think I ever will be. The guy sucks. However, I understand why they like him and his role there. Him and Caprice would be good. Shivani should never be on commentating ever again. Make him the interviewer. Let the people pop for him. He could stand there. He could ask a question and then disappear. That's good for him. He says nothing. So you have a guy all night on commentating who just says, wow, it's so great to be here at Double or Nothing. This is Double or Nothing. Oh, wow, look at that. And then he laughs at other stuff that's supposed to be serious. He shouldn't be on commentating. And and then he will see one of the garbage matches and he'll go, wow, this is great. I I don't even know if he thinks it's, he might think it's great. 
He didn't watch wrestling for 20 years. Yeah, he's somehow as bad now as he was in WCW at a different level. But then Jim Ross, he's the voice of wrestling. However, if he's checked out, you got to do something else with him because there's too often during the show where, I don't know if you call it counterproductive commentary, but it's not even just about him shitting on it. It's just he kind of breaks the wall and starts talking like he's talking to someone backstage as opposed to... Yeah, like, look, at, look at what these two numb nuts are doing now kind of tone. I'm telling you, Excalibur and Caprice Coleman, add Ian Riccoboni if you want to get another thoughtful voice in there. Well, there's a th- How about just Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman they and won't do Buck it. Sock Face? They won't do that. Excalibur's their guy until the Young Bucks lose all power. <laughs> Excalibur's <laughs> their guy. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, Brian last said it. When the Hardly Boys get kicked out on their fucking middle school-sized asses, we can actually get a good announcer. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But Caprice Coleman, this is a few times now, I think twice that we've seen him on AEW TV, and he has been just a breath of fresh air. I hope they have him do a lot more. He's great. But unfortunately, this match was not. And I mean, you know, let's face it. The the Cucamonga kids get heat as heels because the visual is two children dressed like idiots being allowed to do wrestling moves and act like dipshits because they're allowed to because they're part of the company. And it's, they get, this is ridiculous heat. And Matt and Jeff Hardy can't move anymore. And it's just, it's, they could be sloppy when they were 25 years old and full of piss and vinegar and over and the people loved everything and they looked like they weren't killing themselves, even though they were killing themselves, which is why they look like this now. But my God, it was when they got heat on Jeff, it was like getting heat on Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> it, <laughs> that's Bernie Lomax. You're Bernie, talking about yeah, it, Bernie. <laughs> and uh, I felt like somebody had a string tied to one of his hands so he could flail <laughs> his hands around. You know, and then Nick of the Hardly Boys missed the what do they call it? Twist in the whisper in the wind. He missed that off the top rope on purpose. And then Jeff is supposed to hit him with one, and Jeff couldn't get up on a top rope. And if, if I'm serious. He couldn't get up. You saw this, right? He couldn't get up on yeah. a top rope. And the Hardly boy is waiting on him for 10 seconds. And then Jeff hits the flip and gets up, and apropos of nothing, because nobody's anywhere near him, just dives to make the hot tag to Matt, which was cold because... And it would just it it wouldn't end, and then he started getting heat again. And then the Hardys made another comeback. And then there was the constant four-way back and forth where there's that knocks the corpse referee completely useless. I got if if I took over the company, he would be the first person I fired before pockets, before any of them. Because at one point or another, everybody else in this company has done something good, even if it would just take a fucking backdrop. That one thing. Tell me the first useful thing that Rick Knox, the worst referee in the history of wrestling, has ever fucking done. 
He distracts with his uselessness because you sit there going, look at this fucking useless fuck. He's completely useless. He can't even count to 10. He can't get anyone out of the ring. And again, he'll be there until the Bucks are gone. There was a He's their personal referee. Well, yes. And that's why, again, they have, they, that's why the company was the shits out of the gate because they made it an indie-rific outlaw show. And then Tony got some money and balls together and bought some talent. And now it's schizophrenic. There's either there's wrestlers and there's this fucking outlaw bunch. And it just doesn't go together. But this went twice as long as it should have. And four way for minutes. And the the Cucamonga kids were hitting the super kicks like they were kicking Fabergé eggs. And then they set upstairs on the on the floor of the ring, the ring steps. And Knox just stood there and watched everything. And they put Jeff on the stairs, but then Matt and Jeff foiled it. But then they put Matt Jackson on the stairs and Jeff swantoned him off the top rope onto the stairs. And then there were some two counts and then they hit a couple more finishes and then Jeff hit a swanton one, two, three, thank fucking God. And then Jeff bails over the rail and runs out into the crowd. And it, I just, this, it was a mess, not a match. And they've already exposed Matt and Jeff Hardy against job guys, as this is about what you're going to get now, which is why the people were kind of sitting there going, this is what we're getting. And the, the, you know, the Bucks tried overly hard to make it palatable which since their shit looks stagey to begin with, it just looked even more stagey. I don't, I don't know what else to say, but the the thing to do was get them back together, get them in a big match on a pay-per-view as quick as possible without showing the people that they're getting 2022 Hardys instead of 1999 or 2002 Hardys. Your thoughts. I'll try to focus on positives. <laughs> I think Nick Jackson is very talented. Mm. <laughs> Those are the positives of the match. Those are the positives. Th- that's it. All right. I, you know, Jeff Hardy, at least he got rid of the girdle or whatever he had on last time. But, you know, we're seeing these things. You know, he goes to the top, takes his shirt off, and then he either misses the swanton or he crushes the guy with the fucking swanton. He said he did a swanton on the stairs. That was more like a cannonball flip. There was no grace to it. I worry about everyone getting killed. <laughs> Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy's especially. I've never been a Matt Hardy fan, and everyone knows that. But he doesn't look like he should be in the ring anymore. Like it looks painful. Like it looks There's like a, a guy in pain. You're you're kind of feeling sorry for the Hardys while you're watching them try to move like they used to. And that's not a, it's not when you're watching the baby faces and you feel sorry for them, not because the heels are kicking a shit out of them, but because it looks like that they're hurting themselves. That's maybe not the right impression to give, is it? No, but I mean, there were a limited amount of things they could do with the Hardys coming in. And they chose to do certain things that were questionable. And these are the end results. They didn't go right to the Bucks. Now we had the Bucks match. I don't ever want to see these two teams again. I don't know if we would. I mean, the Hardys went over. 
it seemed like it was kind of the Bucks giving them a gift. Like, hey, we loved you guys. Here's your victory. We'll put you over like we did private party. And then we'll go do our show somewhere else. <sighs> well, speaking of a show somewhere else, the next match was for the prestigious TBS title, a.k.a. That Bitch Show, with Anna J challenging Jane Cargill. And, yeah, on a five-hour show, I'm sorry, I'll watch Jane, but I ain't watching Anna J. And... What you got against her? She's trying hard. Oh, God. <laughs> She's got a great look. So's a school crossing guard. That doesn't mean I want to fucking put them on network television. Uh, the highlight for me was Mark Sterling did a comedy fight with old little Brutus. And then Jane won, and apparently Sterling is out of the picture because now here come Malcolm Bivens. Malcolm Bivens is here now. Malcolm Bivens is there, but apparently his old name before WWE was Stokely Hathaway. I thought he was Stokely Carmichael. Oh, I'm, <laughs> no, that's a different guy altogether. That a, that's a different guy? guy. But the thing is, what about was he the guy that used to be partners with the guy that made Van Camp's pork and beans? No, that's someone else altogether. That's Jeff Van Camp you're thinking of. But no, what I was going to say is he comes out there. We've never seen him on national TV with this name. I wasn't even sure what the name was. Excalibur immediately was like, that's Stokely Hathaway. And then Shivani's <laughs> like, oh, wow, Stokely Hathaway. This is great. And Jim Ross, the only one, is like, who's Stokely Hathaway? <laughs> 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 that was exactly he said. Oh, my God, it's Stokely Hathaway. And Jared's like, I've, I've never met Stokely. Uh, uh, but here came Malcolm Stokely or Bivens Carmichael and uh or what is his name now Stokely I think it's Hathaway isn't it oh, Hathaway? Jane, Jane Hathaway here came Jane Hathaway no. and Stokely Cargill <laughs> and and the baddies and here came Chris Flatlander and Ember Moon showed up Athena that was one of those late who singles Athena Athena, yes, I, I I was wondering. That's right. Athena. I had no I idea how much I need her. Yeah, well, I wish Roger I Daltrey was her. here. Why didn't they get Roger Daltrey on the show? They had so many other musical acts, <laughs> some that were real musical acts that people like, and some that just love to dance and prance around, playing out their rock and roll fantasies. Where was Roger Daltrey? That's my question. I, I would have even taken Townsend at that point. Um, so the next match. Oh, you're not, you're not excited about Athena? No. Obviously, there were fans that were excited because she was previously on another show, and here she well, is. yes, and that's the thing. Everybody that shows up from the WWE, they're going to go, oh, they hate the WWE, but they love for their wrestlers to show up because they, well, now they won't be mistreated over here. They can be happy and contented. Uh, and then they'll they'll be booked into obscurity in the next six weeks and then the new wears off and then they don't care i mean you know has anybody come from the wwe and been and i don't include punk in this because he didn't come from these been there but he didn't come from there has anybody come from the wwe and been more over in AEW two months later than they were when they started Two months later, we count Miro out of the picture. The only one I could think of off the top of my head would be Moxley. Even though he had a different name, he was kind of fresh off their TV. Yeah, yeah. And 
these people are big fans of garbage, so they love some moxie. But other than that, Andrade, Malachi Black, we brought up Miro. Of course, the first few months of Miro were a complete disaster, and now he's making motion pictures and TV shows. Adam Cole. Adam Cole, Keith Lee. Danielson was about as over as you could be, and 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 they still love him. We still love him. We just can't find him anymore, covered up in all of the hoo-ha. But anyway, nevertheless, House of Black, Malachi and Buddy and Brody against Pac and Felix and Penthouse. And again, I've said this is another one that people are saying that Pac makes a million dollars a year, which that has to be gaga. Seriously. At the start of this, I wrote, this could be comically rotten, so I will give it a minute. And, of course, the corpse referee again, so you know it's going to be chaos. Felix and Malachi, did you like they were ducking kicks that weren't coming within five feet of each other? It's like they work out a martial arts movie routine and they don't have the camera tricks because they're live with a crowd on all four sides of them. The House of Black looked like the family of pandas with all of their make. Although when Brody King got in, he looked a little like Kamala. Think about it now. Kamala's white face paint and all of Brody King is tattooed, so he's kind of dark. What did you think of the white face paint? That was a different look than we usually have seen. Yes, they look like fucking morons. They look like outlaw, bullshit, garbage, independent wrestlers, which is... Where their minds are in this whole... This was a fucking mess. And I I tried to describe it. Modern tag team wrestling. No tags and no wrestling. Endless moves over and over with no logic. Back and forth with no baby faces or heels. No way to understand what the fuck's going on. Then everything stops dead for a second. And then they figure out what they're doing and start it again. One of the highlights was Felix picked up one of his opponents handed the guy to another opponent. <laughs> the guy's partner just took him in his arms and then Felix kicked the guy's knee so he'll power bomb his own fucking guy. And <laughs> the only reason I didn't turn this thing off at this point was because I I I couldn't believe what I was seeing and I thought it could get even worse and it did. It looked like six drunks trying to square dance. And then Felix and Penthouse and Pack, all three covered one fucking opponent and Knox counted for it. I said, I've had enough. So I fast forward to the end, which is Pack is on the top rope about to come off on Malachi Black and the lights go out. And when the lights come on, there's Julia Hart standing in the ring and she blows the mist in Pac's face and she blows better mist than Malachi Black does. And Pac falls and she jumps out and Malachi Black pins him. So now the the fucking, the House of Edge got Damian Priest and Rhea Ripley. The House of Black gets Buddy and Brody and little Julia. Fucking hell. I I don't know what to say about this. This was, they were killing time. All right. They were stretching the show out. Did the, did this serve any other purpose that you were aware of? It was an endless train wreck that became more amusing as it went on. 
I'm not a big fan of hardcore, what we call hardcore. We used to call ourselves hardcore fans, and then there was the advent of an actual style called hardcore wrestling, and it kind of changed everything. And <laughs> we had to change our fucking names. But I'm not a fan of hardcore. I'm not a fan of horrorcore either. Remember when they tried to do that with rap? Russell Simmons thought the next big thing was going to be horrorcore. Rappers rapping about ghosts and goblins and <laughs> mummies. And it didn't take off. It turns oh, I don't out, remember that. Thank you very much. Yeah, it turns out gangster rap ended up winning that battle. Gangster rap versus horrorcore. But that's what this is. It's the horror segment of the show. The lights. The fantastical stage show. The wonderful costumes. I think these guys all have way too much time on their hands and are coming up with bad ideas. Yeah. I saw an interview the other day. I saw a transcript. I think it was Buddy Murphy. Change his name. Get rid of Buddy if he's a bad guy. <laughs> Unless it's going to be Lance Russell's dog. But he was saying how, like, we think the House of Black could be the biggest thing in wrestling. And I'm like, no, you're not seeing what everyone else is seeing. You're really not. You're really not. I hate this stuff. The House of Black stuff is the worst oh, stuff in God. wrestling. <sighs> they're the heel version of the best friends anyway the horrible so, friends the horrible friends the owen hart tournament men's division concluded samoa joe versus adam cole and remember we said we'd take adam cole versus kyle o'reilly because we know that's a good match those guys have worked together many times and we would take Adam Cole versus Samoa Joe because Joe's been fucking fantastic. But one way or another, the one finish we wouldn't accept is Adam Cole winning because he's been the shits and they booked him into incompetence. So naturally, that's what happened. <sighs> so Adam Cole could not beat Pockets. He couldn't beat the lowest guy on the totem pole. He couldn't beat the mascot. Then he does a job to the champion. Then he does a job to somebody else. And in now he beats Samoa Joe. Again, Joe has been impressive to say the least in everything he's done because he manhandles people he's a grown adult man he looks like he's serious he looks like he's manhandling you he looks like somebody and and they they they've done the same thing with him that they've done with so many of these guys they brought him in with no plan and just made it up as they went along and now as as his shit at least is registering he gets beat by a fucking guy a third of his size that has been booked worse than any major star coming from the other side of a promotional war ever in history. Cole has lost his size. He's lost his aura. He has his group, but they've lost their aura. He's, as I said, he's lost to a joke and yet to win anything major. And honestly... <laughs> This what Joe was trying to carry this, and it was the worst showing that he's had so far because this just didn't work. Nobody's buying Adam Cole, and he's not doing anything to sell himself. Did you see it his just, thigh slaps? Did you see his thigh slaps? Yes, the most That's obvious. That's the only thing that makes any noise. He does it so obviously; he doesn't even try to hide it. Why would you do that? Why would you want people to see you openly just slapping yourself? I did. Uh, <laughs> But Cole debuted with absolutely no booking plan, 
and Joe debuted with no booking plan. And now here are the two guys together. And there are people actually, oh, Tony Khan has plans for every long-term plans. He plans everything. No, he just threw these fucking guys out there and wasted them. And again, in this one, finally, Bobby Fish came out and jerked Joe's bad shoulder that he'd been selling over the top rope. But then that was negated because as Adam Cole goes to do something, Joe gets a sleeper on him and then gets up and nails fish off the apron. And then Adam Cole hits three shitty looking super kicks, shittier looking than super kicks actually usually look. If you can imagine that and hit his knee and beat him, beat the baby face flat. One, two, three. They may have sold it like there was interference, but I got news for you. Again, just because people are doing this shit these days doesn't make it right. Subliminally, if the heel comes out like fish and interferes, then people register and understand that, and then the other heel in the ring capitalizes and wins. But if the heel comes out and interferes, and then the baby face turns around and gets goddamn, goes back on offense, and then the heel beats him, then the heels just beat him flat, which is what happened here. Well, you know, and you, you want to talk about flat, the reaction. You can, yes. You could hear the room be disappointed, not upset that the heel won, disappointed that Adam Cole won. It was not a it was not a good match. The people would have liked to have seen Samoa Joe go on and win this thing because Cole has been disappointing and 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 that didn't happen. So it was a disappointing match with a disappointing finish that disappointed people. This is what we said during the preview. They shouldn't have Adam Cole win, and they absolutely are gonna have Adam Cole win. And unfortunately, like it did here, it was gonna telegraph who was gonna win the women's side. Because you knew it wasn't going to be Ruby Soho standing there. As soon as him and his girlfriend, that they're not married yet, him and his girlfriend both came out dressed like a member of the Hart family, you knew who was going to win the tournament. <laughs> Samoa Joe should have won, even if, I don't know, you can't call an audible, I guess, because it's the tournament final, but that room, there was no way, at least at home, I wasn't there, but observing the crowd from home, there was no way they should have had Adam Cole go over. And I think you should have seen this in advance because we were calling this in advance. And I also think they better be careful because fans may get sick of Britt Baker if uh, things don't change soon, too. Well, is she as interesting as she used to be? No, I don't think so. Because now we're three years in and the people who have been there from the beginning are starting to get into how can I miss you if you won't go away territory. When... (laughs) I'm sorry to hurt all the feelings of the amateur modern wrestling fans that have never seen legitimate booking done before, but the booking's been the shit since the start. And now you got guys that have been there being booked like that for three years. And yeah, they ain't anymore over except if they do something on their own than they were at the start. And eh. So speaking of the other half of the Owen Hart tournament, Britt Baker and Ruby, Ruby, Ruby Soho. And again, it's a five-hour show, plus there was two concerts here. Um, And one of them was pretty good. It was nice to see Rancid. Well, I was about to say, one of them was a professional band set up playing Rancid playing Ruby Soho to the ring, and the other was 
the ex-Fozzy guitarist doing a solo for Britt Baker? Well, first of all, I was hoping Rancid would keep going. I was like, man, time bomb. Let's keep going. Let's hear what's next. <laughs> the Fozzy guitarist guy, it was almost more of a dance routine than it was any actual music. I mean, I heard the music they were playing through the PA, her usual music. I guess he was playing on top of that. But he was just dancing around and mugging yeah. <laughs> for the camera. What the fuck was that? Well, that was... The- that was the same thing that Jericho does in his matches. Dance around and mug for the camera. Just Jericho can't play the guitar. Um, but anyway, again, the heel wins the Owen Hart tournament by beating the babyface clean in the middle with a reverse roll-up. So the heels were rewarded in the Owen Hart tournament with clean victories over the babyfaces. And then Adam Cole came out to congratulate his lovely better half, and we realized that as they're standing there in matching T-shirts, they're both exactly the same size. I think Britt's got a little bit on him in the thighs and a better tan. Her arms are bigger. Um, and Martha Hart come. Tony Khan escorts Martha Hart out. And by God, you know I've called Tony the Mad Hatter because he likes to put a hat on a hat with all these stipulations. But Martha, she thought she was at the Kentucky Derby. Was was that the most bizarre hat you've ever seen at a wrestling award ceremony presentation? Well, that's the thing. It was almost like this was the Hall of Fame speech she never got to give in certain respects. Well, that's true. I didn't think of the, the hat from a Hall of Fame perspective. Maybe that was a Hall of Fame hat. But she thanked everybody she ever met and plugged her hat and gave Adam Cole and Britt Baker both the belts that they've made for the occasion because apparently Tony said in an interview here a week or two ago, oh, I've got all kinds of belts made up that nobody's ever even seen. So sooner or later, if this company lasts long enough, everybody will have a championship belt. This took a while, but I'm not, you know... Martha, as you mentioned that, the Hall of Fame speech she never got to give, I'm willing to give her the time. I I wish they'd have cut some time and some of the rest of the show. And the hat. I don't know about the hat still. Uh, Should we talk about the six-person tag team match? Is it a trios or a trioette if there's the ladies involved? I think it would just be a trios, and it's interesting that we've been waiting to hear about when there would be a debut for Paige Van Zandt, when she would have this big debut, (laughs) and apparently they just announced it between the preview episode we did, or the preview clip we did the other day, and this pay-per-view. I don't even think it was on TV. Well, remember there was a week or two ago they had some kind of segment amongst these clowns where they challenged for a six-person tag, but the participants were never mentioned, nor was the date or place, so they just decided to throw it in here. And it was Scorpio Sky, the other page, and Paige Van Zandt. So how many pages in this company? All we need is the page from England. Sky, Paige, and Paige with Lambert against Sammy and Ty and Kazarian. And... Again, who are the baby faces? The people been cheering for Lambert's group because he's been knocking Sammy and his little girl bitch face. 
But Kazarian is a full-fledged babyface who wasn't happy being partners with Sammy and Ty, who from the time they came out were had more tongue on display than a Jewish deli. Which now they're they're just leaning into it and embracing the whole thing because people hate Sammy now and people hate Ty, and they know that Sammy threw over his homely girlfriend that he proposed to on national television for this little sex pot minx. And they're just doing the hoochie coochie and bumping uglies all over America. This is guy. I'm just thinking through this whole thing. What did Kazarian do to deserve this being in the ring with this bunch of dipshits? Kazarian is excellent. He's an excellent worker. He's a great guy. Scorpio sky is great athletically. And as we've talked about, has, no discernible personality. Yeah, I know we differ on the other page. I don't give a shit. Uh, Sammy he was, the, he was the best one in this whole thing. Well, no. Kazarian was the only pro in here. Everybody else was making faces and doing bullshit. Yeah, but no one cares about Frankie Kazarian. Well, that's their fault. They didn't fucking book it right. Sammy is a potential star physically, but a complete idiot. Mentally, as we've determined. And now I know between Ty Conti and Paige Van Zant, what the who did they think was going to lead the other one? They're both green as pepper trees. They can't work a lick. And so why who was supposed to be the fucking voice of reason in the female division in this match? And how did Lambert go from their hottest heel to a bizarre baby face to worn out in this amount of time? Hey, Kazarian came out with one of Lambert's titles, or one of his belts, I should say. How did he get that? What have they been doing I, on TV that we haven't seen any of this? And who in the match here were we supposed to cheer for? Besides just screaming, Kaz, just leave him, just go. It, when the girls got in, it was two girls doing a wrestling school match for about 90 seconds. And then they did some contrived shit with Sammy to make it look like Van Zant can do some stuff. Because I've mentioned, a girl is light enough to where the guys can... The, they always look better against guys because the guys can pick them up and move them around and take the bumps off of them, whatever. So they had to have Sammy do some shit to make her... But Ty Conti has more experience than Van Zant. But when they were in there, all the all the guys were just sitting on the floor watching them. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, in the middle of the match, Sammy and Ty start making out. And then Kaz wouldn't help them. Everybody started doing a bunch of moves. Kaz tagged himself in and made a comeback. Sammy goes for a super kick, but accidentally kicks Ty. Kaz chucks his own partner over the top. And then the other heels, as opposed to the heel team he's on, hit him with their finish, one, two, three. So Kazarian is the one that got beat. He's the only professional in his fucking abortion. Your thoughts? Kazarian means the least of everyone in that match. I'm surprised he's even in any of this. I think at this point, Tony's trying to justify Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky's contracts. Even though he gave Scorpio Sky an extension, I saw. These guys mean nothing. The TV right. titles never meant less. This whole thing has been a disaster. Lambert, even AEW fans, he has go-away heat with them. He's a babyface. He's a heel. He's someone no one cares about. No one cares about this whole program. The TNT title. You know what? 
whatever you want to say, when Cody was there, the TNT title was treated better. It's been horrible this whole year. And I think, I don't even think it's a case of how can we miss you if you ever go away. I think if Kazarian and Sky went away, people just move on and find other wrestlers to use. And I mean, this was like a bathroom break match. It's because of the people in it. Well, we were two and a half hours into this show at this point, ladies and gentlemen. And I think we're about two and a half hours into this show talking about it. And then we get another unscheduled, unadvertised match, which I actually, I left the match, but I paused it because I wanted to see it. But, oh, the big news. I forgot at the top of the program, we have a baby deer on the castle property again this year. I'd only seen one deer sporadically. And I thought we were getting screwed out of our uh, our new deer population and our our new generation this year after we had the all the babies last year. But no, there's a new baby deer, and it and Mama were walking right by the bedroom window when this match started. And I jumped up because I went and closed the front gate because the baby's still wobbly legged, not even sturdy, and I didn't want it to walk out the front into the road. So mama went across the road and baby stayed on the castle grounds till she came back. But at least I paused the match for this. Did I say what match it was yet? No, you haven't said anything about the match. Uh, well, that's because I was actually more worried about the deer. Um, and th that's another reason why I didn't watch this thing on Sunday night. I was so sore and broke down and beat up by the time I laid down after dinner. About 8.15, I lay down in the in the bedroom, and I think, well, I'll start this thing. And I looked out the window, and there was the deer. And I said, well, I'd rather watch the deer than AEW. So then I went to sleep. Uh, it, but Kyle O'Reilly and Darby Allen, one-on-one. -on -one. I had a question at the start. Why was Darby Allen wearing a skirt over his yoga leggings? He's normally got the little... Uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood kind of, uh, 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 blue jean shorts over his fishnets. But anyway, both guys here were serious. It was like a contest. O'Reilly is both great on offense and on the drunk selling stagger legged type of, you know, thing. They had a near catastrophe in this one. Darby Allen goes... <laughs> Obviously, we know what, what he was going to do because they turned around and did the exact same thing again so he could do it right. So we would have never known that he really fucked up except that he went around and did it right. But he goes for a dive through the ropes where he's going to spear O'Reilly and O'Reilly's going to catch him in a front face lock. But the first time he did it, he went through the ropes head first and just cannonballed straight to the floor and cartwheel kicked O'Reilly in the back of the head. And it hurt both of them. So O'Reilly ends up on the floor on the other side, and that's when Darby does it again. And this time, Kyle caught him in the front face lock. But the announcers were so bum-fuzzled by the first one, and they kept calling for a replay to see what had happened. So then they go to replay the second one. But they replayed that twice, and that confused the announcers. So they're calling a replay of the first one. Yeah. But having said that, this was the best match so far on the show. We had to wait over two and a half hours, but they were actually having a wrestling match. It was one person against one person instead of this fucking multiple person hoo-ha. They were serious. They were laying it in. 
so, so far, that was the best thing we'd seen. And O'Reilly, again, especially here where size is not as important. I'm talking about in AEW versus WWE. And with his style, which is different, he's got so much potential. I just, I, I'm scared about the booking because you never know when he'll be turned into a complete fucking moron too, like most of the rest of them. But Kyle has tremendous potential. He can be on top here in this company. I think, honestly, Darby has this charisma and he's, you know, he's going to hurt himself bad and be out of the business at some point you know, way earlier than he should. But now I think, unfortunately, without somebody that really has a plan, knows what they're doing to get behind him, and he just can't fucking talk, has he gone as far as he can go here without a really good booker doing something for him and not being able to cut promos? I think something different has to be done with Darby before he's a complete non-entity. This is the first time we've seen him without Sting. Apparently, Sting had some sort of medical issue, which is why he wasn't there this weekend. I did not know that. Hopefully, he's all right. But in the meantime, Darby did another coffin drop onto the guy on the apron. Uh, that's why I say he won't last long enough to learn how to cut a promo. He went for another one off the top, and Kyle caught an arm breaker. They tatered each other with a bunch of slaps. And finally, I've been waiting for this. I've talked about this. O'Reilly grabs that chain that Darby wears around his neck. I'm like, how the fuck accidentally or on purpose somebody in a real fight, somebody do it on purpose accidentally in a wrestling match, it'll break your neck, right? He grabs the chain and puts it in his mouth and puts it in Darby's mouth and does a hangman with the chain in Darby's mouth and right as, as old... Sockface says, he's got that unbreakable chain of Darby's. The chain broke and flew up in the air. It, but it was a great visual because then he drops right out of the hangman. And then O'Reilly hit three kicks and a sweet knee drop off the top rope. One, two, three. It was absolutely the right result of the match, but another babyface gets beat flat in the middle by a heel who doesn't cheat. So what the fuck? Oh. But I hope that they do continue to, well, I won't say that they do continue to do something with Kyle. I hope Kyle can continue to get out of the way of the things they try to do with him and stay over. How about that? Good match. I'm surprised they just announced it as a throwaway at the last minute. Really good match, and it's one I would have been excited about if I knew about it beforehand. Well, I'm sure Tony Khan said, oh, they've just taken another timeout in the NBA game. Throw another match out there. And speaking of throwing another match out there, the women's championship was on the line. Serena Deeb against Thunder Rosa. And I will say this. These are the only two women on the roster that can actually work, but we were at three hours and there's a bunch more to go. So what did I miss? A really good match. The best women's match on the show easily. I mean, it's not well, even a competition. <laughs> I was about to say. But that's the problem. You just hit on really the problem. I would have watched it if yeah. I had fucking time. The problem is the show went long. And at a certain point, even if you're really into everything, you have to get up and go get something to eat or go to the bathroom or check on your kids or do something. And 
Parts of this match were the parts where I went up and moved around and did things. The parts I saw were really good. I am going to go back and watch the whole thing because I heard people raving about it. But they're really good wrestlers. But it was late in the show. And the show, yeah. despite what Tony Khan thinks, here on the East Coast, for me, an older guy, 42, this show was getting really, really long in the tooth by this point. Yeah, these dipshits, they're in Las Vegas on, the, on West Coast time. So it was fucking 7.30 or whatever for them. That's, they don't understand what the fuck. They love what they do. They love the smell of their own farts so much that they think people just want an endless amount of it. And they don't realize that nobody wants to see five hours of this shit or any other shit for that matter. Speaking of shit... Here it came. This was the real test. If I didn't give up on the show after this, there was, I was going to see it through to the bitter end. Whatever they called this mess, the lazy booking match is what I called it. No rules. Anything goes. No match. We don't need the ring. Uh, the Jericho appreciators against Moxley, Santana, Ortiz, Danielson, and Kingston. And it, by the way, is Jericho the wizard or the chameleon? Does he just <laughs> latch on to the charisma of everyone around him and try to make it his own? He put a group together with no charisma specifically so he would stand out. Oh, you got to hear his explanations for all this in the press scrum. Oh, he Lord is there. so delighted with his ideas and his concepts. He's delusional. He thinks all of this is great. He thinks everything he's doing is great. They all came out in white Guardian Angel rip-off outfits. Hager looked especially ridiculous in that get-up. So three job guys, Fumblemouth, Hager, and Jericho. And now here comes the baby faces, all from the parking lot to Wild Thing. Brian Danielson now looks like a bum like John Moxley. It couldn't go the other. He couldn't rub off on Moxley. Moxley's got to rub off on him. I've, regardless, I don't know what's the worst offense. Moxley being fucking fetishizing this goddamn idiot drug addict bank robber Nick Gage and the whole garbage deathmatch wrestling business, or Moxley trying to have these fucking matches that just go nowhere and it's the same horse shit, or anything else about Moxley. What is the worst thing he's done? The worst thing he's done is deprive us of seeing the best wrestler in the world, Brian Danielson, doing what he was doing. And now he's in this group with this dipshit. Fuck. I wish the fucking rehab hadn't taken so quick so we could add another few minutes, a few months without Moxley. So they started a quote-unquote fight in the arena and the bleachers and the floor, and Wild Thing was playing loud, blaring, incessantly and they're all over the the arena out in the crowd and lawsuits are waiting to happen stacked up up and down the aisleway and then they looped wild thing and it it played the whole way through and then started over again as this is fucking horrible you couldn't follow any of this shit it's 10 guys paired off five pairs each in different places in the arena the cameras can't follow it. Nobody knows what's going on. 
And they're watching different things. The music won't stop. It looked like something that Russo booked. And then there was Daddy Mac Mac Daddy in the crowd, bleeding everywhere on the piece, slinging his head, and the blood is flying. There's another lawsuit. And what didn't look phony looked dangerous. There was no work. There was no excitement. They're hitting each other with shit that they're finding laying around and, and on concrete. So there's nothing exciting going on. It's just a fucking fake-looking mess. And then, thankfully, the best part of the match, Jericho got to the soundboard and smashed the soundboard and stopped that music. And as soon as the music dropped out, you can tell that the crowd wasn't making a goddamn sound. That music, yeah, my ears were ringing, and when they take that out, bleh. And they went outside, and they were in the breezeway, and somebody was in an elevator, and they, they were breaking tables. That Garcia gave Ortiz a pile driver off the apron onto the ring stairs. I don't know which is stupider, the guy giving it or the guy taking it. And of course, that wasn't a finish. Jim Ross in the middle of it, well, this is hard to call, which is his code for saying what I thought. This is everything wrong with professional wrestling today, all in the same fucking match. So I fast-forwarded some. They took the top rope off. I don't know why they weren't using the ring anyway. Moxley was bleeding. He has to bleed because he loves the garbage. Kingston was the one in the freight elevator with somebody. And we barely got to see Danielson. He was trying to hide probably out of embarrassment. They had a ladder. They had a barbed wire board. They broke several more tables. The heel used the fire extinguisher. Every, they can't even get that right. The people don't pop if the fucking heel uses the fire extinguisher. It's the other way around. <laughs> At this, I wrote in capital letters, everyone involved in this is a complete fucking idiot. So, I fast forward to the finish. What I think is going to be the finish. I thought it was going to be the finish when Eddie Kingston came in with a quote-unquote gas can. Danielson has the crossface on Jericho. Danielson is partners with Kingston, even though they had an issue on TV. Well, while Danielson has the crossface on Jericho, Kingston pours the quote-unquote gasoline on top of both of them despite the fact that they've already stooged themselves because now the people in the front row know we can't smell any gas and nobody would continue on the way they were if they'd had gas poured over the top of their fucking head. This is so fake and phony and insulting and now they got Danielson involved in it. Danielson and Kingston get in a fight. Moxley separates them. Jericho hits everybody with a chair. Moxley gets knocked off the ring onto the barbed wire board and gets stuck in that. I was happy to see that. I'd like to see him have both of his ears ripped off sometime. Uh, Jericho hits Danielson with the turnbuckle and gets a two count. This can't even be the finish. More fake punches. Danielson now makes a comeback on Jericho and Hager, but everybody else in the match has disappeared. It will not end. And finally, Jericho gets the lion tamer, such as it was, on Danielson, and Hager wraps the top rope around his neck and chokes him out. 
And not only was this the most embarrassing thing that I've seen in I don't know how long, and the goddamn best wrestler in the whole match and the world got is the one who got beat in this abomination. But people wonder why nobody wants to watch wrestling anymore and they see fucking matches like that and they don't put two and two together. This fucking sucked. Uh-uh. I don't even want to waste my time tearing the rest of it. That it's just insulting to do. What could they possibly have in their mind that thinks that's good for their business or anybody else's? I think Tony was convinced of things by Chris Jericho and he went along with it. He likes the idea and Chris Jericho likes to do a lot of stupid stuff. And sometimes it's better at hiding his inabilities as a wrestler Although in some cases he looks awful in these things. In some cases he looks like the worst one in all these things, even in a brawl. If I can give any positives at all, William Regal stayed away. I don't know where he was. Secondly, Danielson, even in this, even with whatever this was, him yelling, I'm going to kick his fucking head in, the way he looked, he looked like a guy in a fight. It was great. And Kingston. First of all, Kingston's no, the most- no, I'm, you know what? I'm off Eddie Kingston. He could have said, no, I'm not going to goddamn take a fucking supposed phony gas can out there and pour gas over their heads. They all could have said, everyone, ridiculous. everyone could have said no to everything, but Eddie Kingston was the most over guy. When they announced people at the beginning, baby face and heel, he was the most over one in this match. Yeah, a few more times of people seeing him pouring fake gas and say, well, he's just a fucking fake like the rest of them. I don't see. I don't think people be. are going to get upset about that. I don't think that's what's going to upset anyone. That's the stupidest thing I've got. But I think Eddie Kingston, again, they're missing a moment to do something with him. He's the everyman that people like to get behind, and it feels like they never really get any traction with that. And the other story is Jericho wins the match beating Danielson. How did they convince anyone that was a good idea for the ending? (laughs) I'm going to beat Danielson. That also means this isn't going to end. There's going to be more to this feud. This is terrible. Chris Jericho has put together the worst body of work of any major wrestler in a major promotion. Remember when the show started, we thought this is, he's the star of this show. He's the only one anybody knows he's going to fucking run away with this thing. And instead... It's going down, 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 down. You should hear him. I'm going to play you audio later from the scrum. He's now talking like Omega. You know, this is my art and this is what I do. He's so in his own head, he doesn't realize that all of his ideas are terrible. And Tony Khan just sits there nodding along, but we'll play that later. This was not very good. And the other thing was, I started laughing at a certain point, just like the commentators just like Shivani and Excalibur having a party during this thing, I was laughing just because it wouldn't end. Nothing would end. And it was before this match when I tweeted out, how many more matches are there? <laughs> because there were still a lot of matches and it was so fucking late. Like I said, East Coast, it felt really late at this point. This match wouldn't have been any good if it was the first thing you saw after you got out of prison for 20 years. As a matter of fact... I, you know, if I have to be the old guy screaming, hey, you kids, get off my lawn. Well, these kids, I don't want them <laughs> on my fucking lawn. I don't want them in my yard. I don't want them anywhere around. So these children are not allowed to play on my lawn. 
Well, perhaps, Jim, if you had a host that was ready with a transition to talk about <laughs> their lawns and their Sunday lawns, they would be ready, but you have what you have. Well, I'll tell you, Brian, it was Sunday, and there were some kids on my lawn, and they were really making a mess of it. I hate when these kids come in and they trample my lawn and they piss on it and they leave all kinds of bare spots and dead spots. And of course they all brought weeds. You know, all what? these guys, all these guys have weeds on them and they brought weeds and they, they put that on my lawn. So I have a lawn now that has bare spots and weeds and needs green grass and fertilization. What do I do? I find the folks at Sunday Lawn, and I go and visit GetSunday.com. Because, folks, if you dread taking the time and effort to fertilize your lawn, now you can look forward to it. Because with Sunday, their lawn care products are so quick and easy, you don't have to go to the store. They deliver everything right to your door. And without the harsh chemicals, it's made with ingredients like seaweed and iron and molasses. And I think there, there's actually... If I'm not mistaken, there's even some marshmallow in there. You may be mistaken. Well, I could be, but it goes good with molasses marshmallows. I'll tell you what, just take a nibble of this stuff, folks. When no, it comes to you. do not what? nibble on this stuff. No, do not tell them to do that. Well, no, you're not supposed to eat a lot of it, but just take a taste before you spray it on your lawn. And no, no, it, do not do that. The weeds, the bare patches, the pet spots, they will all go away. They've got everything you need at Sunday. From fertilizer to seeds to weed control, as I said, delivered to your door. All you do is just go to uh, Get Sunday. That's G E T, and you know how to spell Sunday. GetSunday.com. Put in your address, and they lawn analysis tool thing that they have on there figures out where you live. As a matter of fact, they'll pinpoint you and then report your whereabouts to the government. But they'll see where you live, and they will analyze the soil and climate data to create a personal nutrient plan specifically for your yard. Now, of course, you should tell them, for example, if you have an inordinate amount of you know, manure in your yard, that could throw things off. And also, if you have dead bodies planted in various places, as they decompose, that can throw the pH value of the soil off. So... Tell the folks at Sunday all these things. Have you got a lot of shit in your yard? Have you got a lot of dead bodies buried there? Is it a cemetery? Whatever the case. And they will figure out the exact products you need to use with your family in mind so your kids won't be poisoned and the dogs and the pets won't be poisoned. They can go out and they can roll around in that grass. They can roll it up and smoke it. They can do whatever they want with it and it won't hurt them. And right now, Sunday is offering our listeners 20% off because full season plans start at just $129, but you can get 20% off when you go to GetSunday.com slash JCE, 20% off of your custom yard plan, lawn plan, grass plan. You know what they say, gas, grass, or ass, nobody rides for free. GetSunday.com slash JCE. Of course, everyone wants a freshly mowed green lawn, or at least they want a green lawn. Everyone wants something. I wanted this event to end, but there was still more. <laughs> oh, God. I had to switch to another notepad. Um, you told me to watch this thing, 
He said, oh, watch it. So I watched it. Triple threat tag team title. Keith and Swerve and Starks and Hobbs and Jungle Boy and Dino Douche. What was I supposed to glean from this? The two things I said to you were, you're not going to like it, <laughs> but Ricky Starks really shines, and you should see some of Swerve Scott's. I've been telling you, he's got size, he's got a look, he's got something going on. I hope he doesn't get lost in the shuffle. I did not tell you you would like this match or that it was good or that the finish was a good finish or anything else. Well, they tried to make up for how late it was in the night because at the bell, they did a six-way on the floor with multiple dives going 100 miles an hour. And it was sloppy, and there were two babyface teams and one heel team, so that's out of whack. And Knox was the referee, and... (sighs) At one point, it slowed down a bit to where it was palatable so Hobbs and Starks could look good getting some heat on Jungle Boy. That actually looked like a wrestling match for a minute in the middle of this. But then the one spot you mentioned, and I liked it, Starks did the rope walk spot where he grabs the guy's hand and he's walking the top rope like The Undertaker, but he's doing all his strutting and gesticulating. And who was it? Old Jungle Boy jerked him off the top rope and he crotched crotched himself on the rope, and that that was entertaining. Um, I don't know what had one point. I'm trying to watch Swerve. He's hidden in all this shit. But he backdropped Starks over the top rope. Starks held on and was going to land feet first on the apron. But Dino and Jungle Boy were down on the floor waiting to catch him. And so when he... When he went over the top, he put his feet on the apron, but it, he lost his grip on the rope and he fell backwards over them and they ducked and reverse backdropped him to the floor and he landed on his head after a previous broken neck. Wasn't he one of the guys that broke his neck? It was either a and, broken neck or very close to it, yeah. And the whole match came to a halt with all the guys in the ring and the guys on the floor going, what was that? In their own match, they didn't know what the fuck had just happened. And then Swerve jumped up and backflipped off of Keith Lee's chest to all of them on the floor to make sure his neck was broken if he hadn't have just broken it on that previous bump. And then Swerve and Hobbs got confused trying to do something. And then Hobbs belly-to-bellied Swerve off the top rope, and then, oh no, the lizard's in. Because for a while, we got out of having to watch the dinosaur, but they get all three of the big guys, Keith Lee and Dino douche and powerhouse Hobbs in. And there's three guys, one from each team. That's not legal, but Knox is standing there watching it all. And they have a sloppy fight because you don't want the fucking big guys when the big guys are all so green to, and then did you see they wiped the lizard out of the equation and Hobbs and Keith Lee faced off? And I dare, Brian, you've still got this on your DVR, right? I did it on BR Live, but I think I still have access yeah, well, to you, it. You can go back, and I dare anybody that still has access to this, go back and watch the point where it was Lee and Dino or Dino and Hobbs, and Dino gets dumped out. And Hobbs and Keith Lee face off, and I have never seen this before, but I've only been watching wrestling for 50 years. 
they went to punch each other and both of them missed each other accidentally. Did you catch it? I'll have to go back and watch. They're standing there face to face and they both draw back their right hands and they swing and they both missed each other. And it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't like a duck miss. It was like a, we just fucking fucked up missed. I couldn't do it anymore. So I fast forwarded about five minutes and somehow Jungle Boy and Dino Douche beat Swerve with some fucked up thing that I wouldn't trust the dinosaur to do to me. A human being of 300 pounds was in front of both those guys and they swung and missed at the same time. Some would say that was a good metaphor for this match, a swing and a miss. I'll say this, I hope Ricky Starks, you know, I wish Ricky Starks worked a little more like MJF. And what I mean is, when you watch MJF, he never looks like he's going to get hurt. He does things that are smart, his personality comes through, he does athletic things. But with Ricky Starks, I'm always afraid he's going to get hurt. (laughs) And he's gotten hurt, and he's really good, and he has so much charisma. Put the TNT title on him and do something with him. And with Hobbs, they're great together. Taz was on commentary. Would be nice if Team Taz had Taz with them at some point. <laughs> but Ricky Starks... Wait, how many people were at the announce booth in this one show? Well, it was the main three, and then we had Caprice Coleman, we had Taz. Did we have anyone else? I think there was somebody else in there somewhere. But, I mean, it just... Uh, anyway, that... The tag team champions remain the fifth best tag team in the company. So now we are four hours into this broadcast. Four hours. And guess what it's time for? Like Mussolini! Two hours late. If he'd come in about 9.30, it'd have been great. Oh, what's Mussolini? <laughs> well, it's a uh, cross between um, Semolina and Manicotti. So, again, I, I wrote before I even knew that they thought they had done the right thing because the crowd in the arena was still involved in this last match. I wrote they should thank fuck they're on West Coast time. It's midnight on East Coast. 11 o'clock central. If you take out Los Angeles and San Francisco, it was past local news time for 80% of the fucking country. And, I mean, they did the right thing here. They did the only thing they could do because it's a joke. It was a joke with, again, six or seven or eight guys in the company more over, more known, more qualified that Adam Page was the champion. They had three years. They blew it. They blew it from the start. They booked him to be a milksop imbecile, a cowboy that drinks. First, he's a fucking sad, morose drunk. Then he's a fucking milk-drinking cowboy. Then he's driving a Prius with buffalo horns. He's hanging out with job guys. He They, they listed old excrement Listed Page's successful title defenses. Brian Danielson, okay. Lance Archer, 
Adam Cole in his current incarnation, and Dante Martin. That's the stunning list of challengers that this champion has turned back during his reign. And it, it starts at the entrance. Punk's entrance is big time. He's got real music. He's over. He's been somebody. He comes out, there's excitement. And then Paige's slow, bland, generic music with the outlaw horse graphics on the screen. And he comes out with that confused look on his face. It's not the same level. So... I'm not even saying Adam Page is a bad worker. Mentally, I think he needs some help as far as how to put matches together. But they had three years, like I said, and they had decided they were going to make him a world champion, and they did nothing to get that ready to come to fruition. And as a result, they ended up with a world champion, and nobody believes is the world champion. If he'd have been a TNT champion, everything had been fine. But this was, and and I mean, Punk, the people are chanting for him. They got dueling chants going after a while, but the people were booing Paige a little bit more because that's the, that's the direction they'd been led in when Paige melted down and had a screaming little childish tantrum in Punk's face last week. And, and the week before, he was going to destroy him and eliminate him and annihilate him and whatever the case. Um... <clears throat> the the crowd was into this. They wanted to see it. And they worked it like a fight. From the start, the lockups, the stiff shots, the stiff chops. Punk wasn't going to go out there and, and have one of these fucking clown matches, especially since he's winning the championship. He wants to make it something. So they had a wrestling match. But... Uh, <sighs> I don't know, you know, I've liked a lot more punk shit with other people. I've just, I'm not tickled at all by Adam Page. Uh, but this was, it was a world title match. They didn't do anything egregiously risky and stupid. They kept it moving. You know, I don't even know, it, it was back and forth enough that we don't need to go blow for blow. But again, the only thing I thought, will punk make Paige look behind himself before he does the moonsault. Well, they milked the moonsault. A couple times he went for it, he couldn't get it, but finally he did it and just backflipped straight off the fucking top rope, blind into the air, trusting that his opponent, who should be trying to get out of the way, is going to be there. Um, In the, in the go-home stretch, they kept calling for either the go-to-sleep or the buckshot lariat. And Punk finally, he went for the buckshot, but he fell short. But Page ducked under him, got him up for the go to sleep, and Punk countered that. But Punk went for another buckshot. The first time, I thought maybe that was the spot. The second time, I think he was trying to get it, he couldn't get it. Because he couldn't land on his feet. That's an odd movement, right? He did it a few weeks ago on TV, but that was not with a 30-minute match in front of it. Anyway... On the second time, Punk clotheslined Page anyway, but he sold his knees. There's a reason why he couldn't do it. His knee's bad. And then they traded go-to-sleeps. They had the exhausted fight on their knees. Page gets heelish at the end by not only 
clothesline and punk over the top rope, but throwing him over the table and taunting him with the title belt. So, I mean, is he going to go full heel? It'd be nice if he went full something. And then they knock, they bump the referee with the fireman's carry. The legs got Paul Turner. All three of them were selling. And then this wasn't a rotten match. It was an okay match. Wasn't Punk's best. It might have been Paige's best. I don't know. But the fucking finish, we went straight back to the WWF. Paige is standing over the referee who's down. And Punk is selling. And now Paige moves in slow motion. And he sees the title belt laying on the ring. And he takes forever. But he goes over and he gets the belt. But he's going to hit Punk, but maybe he's not, but maybe he is, but maybe he's not. You can see on his, actually, you can't see on his face. It's the same confused look he always has. He doesn't have the, the expressive facial expressions of all this conflicted thoughts that are going through his mind, but also it's taken for fucking ever. It's sports entertainment. As we've mentioned, you're a criminal. You're going to commit a crime. The policeman has a fucking hair in his eye. He can't see. You've got a limited amount of time. The window is closing. Do it or don't do it. But he's standing there, eh. And finally, he says, no, he's not going to do it. He drops the belt. He goes for the buckshot. Punk picks him up in the go-to-sleep. One, two, three. Whether it was a rotten finish or whether it was just executed rotten, I don't know. Because it could have sounded good, but not the way Paige did it. It's another of this. If you've been fighting this guy for 30 minutes, you're either going to win it fair or you're going to cheat, but you're not confused at that point, for fuck's sake. And either pick the belt up and clock him with it or don't. But everything came to, and it was so long. And the people saw a title change, so they popped on it. If if that had been any other body but Punk winning that thing, by the time that Paige got finished deciding whether or not he was going to do it, do you think anybody would have give a shit? I think everyone's a little tired of the melodrama around everything with Adam Page all the time. The drinking, the Young Bucks forgiving him for the drinking and not interfering when he won the title. During this match... Excalibur on commentary was like, we all know Adam Page is done with anxiety and stress. Like, we do? I don't know that. Do we know that? Was that established? He deals with anxiety and stress? Well, that's why he was drinking and hanging around with job guys and taking them on rides in his lawnmower. Is that why he held the belt and couldn't figure out what to do? Yes, because he's anxious. I, who the fuck knows? It's somewhere in their minds... There's a story here, but it looks stupid when they try to present it because they don't know what they're doing. Well, let's talk about the positives. The right guy won. Right guy won. Took a little while to get it on Punk, but the right guy right now has the belt for whatever you want to do with the company, however you want to try to grow it or get the word out. This is the right guy to have the belt right now. Don't you agree? Well, uh, the Danielson would have been the right guy in December, I think it was. And Punk is the right guy now. If we'd have got Danielson in December, could we have gotten Punk and Danielson? I'm, I'm just. I think we're still going to get Punk gonna and Danielson. When are they going to start giving us the big money matches? When are they going to realize that we don't care about the uh, amateur class? We want the big money matches. 
I don't know. Well, we shall see. And I got some audio I'm going to play for you shortly from the post Double or Nothing press scrum. But I wanted to ask you a question because several people sent this in, Jim. And a few of the people who sent it in actually attached photos. So these were people in Las Vegas for the AEW event. And they noticed this. Here's one question. This was sent to CornyDriveThru at gmail.com from DJ in Toronto. I saw this pop up online that at Double or Nothing, WWE had Money in the Bank mobile billboards driving around the T-Mobile arena. (laughs) What do you think about this, Jim? And of course, on these was Cody Rhodes. So they're driving around the (laughs) AEW building with Cody Rhodes plugging Money in the Bank, which of course is in Vegas, just moved to a smaller building. Isn't there somewhere a correlation? Is there some guy out there showing the jilted ex a picture of his ex-girlfriend that he's with now going, ah, you can come over here and see her. Um, I mean, that's marketing 101. For those people, they are predisposed to want to see Cody, so let's tell those people where they can see Cody since they can't see him there anymore. I, that's that's classic wrestling promotion. Well, the question here was, could it have been a coincidence or was someone no. in Titan Tower <laughs> actually planning this? No, of course it wasn't a coincidence. It was completely planned. Why the fuck wouldn't you plan that? Again, that's exactly, you know, that's wrestling promotion 101. And maybe that's one of Jeff Jarrett's new ideas as senior VP in charge of live events. And that you're going to the audience that is predisposed to like your product and you're featuring the guy that just left their company that is you're predisposed to have an affinity for as well. A big group of wrestling fans and a big group of wrestling fans that used to pay to see Cody Rhodes. There's your market. All right, Jim, I have some audio to play for you from the post-AEW Double or Nothing press And now, Barrett, now also, let's let the people know this was immediately after the pay-per-view. So Tony Khan makes these fucking guys, after they've been in the building since noon, probably, and after they've had a five- or six-hour show, they got to go in and talk to Uncle Dave his sidekick, Brian, and three other people in an empty room for, what, two hours? Well, let's hear some audio. No, you didn't comment on that. Is anybody going to tell Tony Khan, Tony, we're not on the shit you're on. We don't have enough money to afford that shit. We got to go to bed once in a while. He knows that whatever he says will get out by the next morning and people will take the clips. Apparently, there was a big controversy, some of the wrestling Media personalities got upset because AEW wasn't going to allow people to film the press scrum or the media scrum and put it on their YouTube page. And when people realized they would lose a lot of revenue, they complained that Tony actually backed off so everyone could film it and put it on their page. Well, isn't that what a press scrum is for, to give the press photo ops and video ops and answer their questions and have them put that everywhere they possibly can? Because they're the fucking press! You would think so, but again, we're talking about the wrestling press. That's a whole different animal altogether. Man, boy, you ain't kidding. Let's get some audio. Here's Tony with CM Punk, who was the first person that sat down with Tony before the wrestling media. The question was about tension in the Adam Page promo on the go-home show before the pay-per-view, and if CM Punk is blending into the locker room. Let's hear this. 
page leading into double or nothing, how it felt like there was some real tension there. Um, do you feel like you're um, blending in with this locker room or do you still feel like you're kind of somebody on the outside trying to find his way in to the regular mix of AEW? Uh, oh, I've, I've grown so wise in my old age that I will, I'll do my best to be uh, as diplomatic as I possibly can with this answer. Um, <laughs> if there's people backstage uh, that don't like me, it's a minority. And um, if anybody says that nobody wants me here and nobody likes me, I like to say that uh, nobody's don't like me and nobody's don't want me here. <laughs> so there's the first one I'm going to play well, for you. What do you think of that? I think uh, I'm sure all those nobodies know who they are, too. And that was that was very well, well put. Uh, it. And I notice punk tries to be legitimate in these things. Everybody else just comes out and spills their guts. They'd be the worst fucking prisoner of wars ever. Not just name, rank, and serial number. They'll tell you everything they've ever done in their life and how they had these great ideas and how they could put their matches together and, and just play with their friends. And, oh, golly, what a show we put on. Whereas punk tries to speak like he's in a sport and he's doing a a press conference you know with legitimate press and doesn't destroy everybody's illusions again he's on Gilligan's Island he's he's lost all alone somewhere in the sea of stupidity well Jim another one I want to play you here this one got a little bit of attention it's going to start with CM Punk mentioning how long the show went but then someone asked about recent comments Eric Bischoff made looking for attention, trying to knock CM Punk, and CM Punk didn't have to say too much. Tony Khan came, I'm not even going to say rushing to his defense, just debunking how stupid an argument this was. Have you well, heard this? Well, and, and remember also, because some people tried to stir it up, oh, he's, he's knocking Cornette, but Punk said, ah, oh, these old fucking guys with the podcast and blah, blah, blah. He was talking about Bischoff, which in the context... You understood, but everybody, oh, he's talking about Cornette, because nobody thinks about Bischoff. But no, he was talking about Bischoff. Did you hear Tony Khan's defense, or Tony Khan's reasoning, I, or what he said? I here? haven't heard Tony Khan say anything in a long time, and I have a feeling that's about to come to an end, because you're going to make me listen. Oh, yeah. Well, here it is, and like I said, a little bit of the question beforehand, and then into the Bischoff topic. Punk has been almost. I for years. sure got you guys blocked. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> pretty sure you got yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty I'm sure. I'm pretty, pretty sure you got me blocked. I'm, I'm pretty I'm sure. positive. Yeah. Okay. Especially after this question, you probably will like me even less. But um, <laughs> I haven't so, answered yet, so you know. <laughs> so it's been around nine years since you've been a world champion somewhere else. Again, how do you feel? You seem a little tired, but. Well, the show is like fucking twelve hours long. <laughs> you're not, you're not tired. Come oh, on. I'm, I'm tired as hell. Y'all's match was like two hours. So, yeah, it was, it was great the, but my real question is, you had like a little bit of a Twitter war, not too long ago, with Eric Bischoff, where he, and I quote, he said that you were the biggest financial flop in wrestling. That's history. fucking bullshit. Say, hey, hey, I can tell. There's only one person that can attest to that. I don't know what other people. I can only attest what's happened here and public record and some of these things are a matter of public record because things of freedom of information and stuff so we do you know have over the years a good amount of financial data in pro wrestling i can tell you like no one wrestler has ever come in and made a bigger plus delta 
financial difference in the history of my company going into this is the third year anniversary this week mm -hmm. going into year four no one person has ever made a more positive impact we just did a record pay-per-view buy every pay-per-view he's done a four pay-per-view cycle now every one of them was the record this and uh whether it was all out where he was a huge part of the draw with darby whether and his debut of course is a huge thing from the first dance the biggest rampage draw in the history of that show uh the matches he carried the friday night war which by the way is a matter of record in fucking court in the state of california that we won the friday night war just ask jerry mcdivitt because he fucking wrote it hey. and this guy won it versus matt seidel who's a great wrestler he had another goddamn great match fucking on right, friday night this fucking guy he fucking did the friday night war he did the first dance he's done the record double or nothing he did the record all out in his debut he did a, he was a big part of a record full gear a great match with eddie kingston and fucking a bunch of he's wrestled a bunch of young guys a bunch of veterans in between there the will hobbs Daniel garcia god damn it and then he showed up uh, did the biggest program in terms of everything tv box ever with mjf <laughs> and then he did the goddamn main event here god he's the biggest it. part of financial success in let's the history of this company go. let's fucking go yeah good answer uh i will i will quasi answer that i didn't have a twitter war with anybody i never mentioned them my name and i think people like that just need to die in the dark and i don't i don't need to, to speak their name and stuff like that i'm focused on what we're doing and the positives we bring uh to the world and i don't want anybody to die <laughs> but, but, but nevertheless it is bullshit what he said yeah yeah we don't need we don't need to to everybody's got a shitty opinion so just let them let them have it that's a shitty opinion it's the most bullshit opinion i've ever heard and like i said i hope the answer i gave get backed up why he's the opposite he's actually for us the biggest financial success story and okay we're moving on thank we're you moving, right. thank you thank you I just, I just, <laughs> punk had to shut him up that's right and there oh it is oh my god <laughs> it, can you imagine vince mcmahon talking like that and what i mean is it what is it? <laughs> what what is causing Tony's hyperactivity? That's maybe the biggest mystery in wrestling right now. What is causing the hyperactivity? I don't know what to say about it. Just if if he would go off for a question like that, like that, what if he got asked something stiff? What do you think would happen? I mean, and it was was punk embarrassed there you're seeing the the video i'm only seeing the uh, hearing the audio punk had some interesting facial reactions especially when tony yelled out that he won the friday night war which i completely forgot about what? jerry mcdivitt declared it in court in california what, what is he talking about that the uh, smackdown does two million fucking viewers what friday night war when they moved it to fox was that when they moved it to fox sports did it go against rampage one night or when it was on a saturday there was some kind oh of thing. yeah yes one time when smackdown was on fox sports net and rampage was still a show that they were trying to give a shit about um yeah they they won like a hundred thousand people because there was a third of the normal wwe audience watching on the other network but that that was a friday night war I, the point is I, is Tony losing it from the stress, or has he always been this way? As I mean, when I talked to him, he did go on quite a bit and at a high rate of speed and with not a lot of logic behind it. But that's isn't that embarrassing for the owner of the company? 
I don't know. And I only say that because traditionally I would have said, yeah, but you know, in another respect, watching this and watching this guy immediately jump to the defense of his world champion who's sitting next to him with facts, just to point out that this is ridiculous. Here are the reasons why. Yeah. I mean, it's a little maybe over the top and how much he threw out there pretty quickly, but I think he's someone who tends to throw out a lot of stuff pretty quickly and his mind goes pretty fast. <laughs> but he defended his world champion and uh, kind of shut down the whole thing pretty quickly too. Well, I guess he's got that going for him, or going for him. But uh, I like too what Punk says, they should die in darkness. And Tony says, I don't want anyone to die. <laughs> 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 well, another question for CM Punk, this one from Dave Meltzer. Oh, boy. Wanted to ask him about other people he wanted to work with. So let's hear this. But before that, Punk brings up what happened with the Buckshot Lariat. So let's go to this. After the match, you, you kind of made a, a joke, uh, kind of in jest and kind of not about uh, never doing another Buckshot Lariat. Yeah. Um, I mean, did, did did you feel like when you did that, it was like, oh, my God, I made a mistake? Or was it just like... Oh, I'm sure you're not going to give me five stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's one of, the, that's one of those fucking things. I... Um, that those are the those are that's the only time that I've missed it since I've tried it. I did it on TV and I just I just didn't I just didn't hit it for whatever reason and it's and it sucks. But you know that's the that's the fun thing about pro wrestling is I'm more comfortable when shit goes fucking sideways and not everything needs to look uh, perfect in my opinion. Um, I'll probably beat myself up about it uh, way too much, uh, but you know uh, mistakes happen. So now. Let me pause it there real quick, Jim. What are your thoughts on his reaction to Dave's question about the Buckshot Lariat? Well, I think that was a reasonable way to look at it. You know, it's not his specialty. It's something that he's been doing because of the program he's in, but he doesn't have the, you know, years of experience doing it, and he probably ain't going to do it anymore, but he ain't going to dwell on it. He did, It's not like he fucking landed on his head and was carted off to the hospital. He landed on his feet and fell back. But like I said, it, it was noticeable the second time. I don't know if I would have gone for the second one or not, but I guess they had to to do what they wanted to do. Let's go back to this. Dave asking Punk about guys he wants to work with. Let's hear if this jibes with who you think he should work with. Now, going forward as champion, um, are there any names that you're looking forward to more than others? I mean, there's a list of 30 guys yeah. or more that <laughs> you could go right through, but is there anyone that you're going like, Right now, whether it's whoever it is that you're really looking forward to going against next. Oh, um, well, obviously we got Forbidden Door coming up. So, you know, to me, focusing on that, um, I think Okada, uh, Tanahashi, Osprey, guys like that, I'm looking forward to stepping in the ring with uh, AEW talent. Um, I always think number one with a bullet is going to be Brian Danielson. Um, I've never wrestled John Moxley. I wrestled Dean Ambrose, so that's that's an interesting that's an interesting matchup. There's still guys on on my list that I've never wrestled: There's Jungle Boy, uh, Ricky Starks. Um, I could probably finish out my career wrestling uh, FTR like every day for the rest of my life, and it could be different and, and fun every single time um will hobbs is another guy that I, I i think has all the potential in the world we got a really stacked roster it's it's almost it's almost a crime that we can't 
do everybody justice at once, but I think we're getting there with baby steps, and I think we're learning. Um, I think we may make mistakes, you know, but instead of, you know, dwelling on it and punishing other people or ourselves, I, I think we, we move on and we just, you know, try to learn from things. Uh, but Brian Danielson would probably be the first guy that, that comes to mind. Very selfishly, I'd love to wrestle him again. Let me get your thoughts on that answer, Jim. And of course, there's some notable names he did not list. Well, first of all, I mean, he, like everybody else in the business and that has any experience, knows what they're doing, knows that Dax and Cash are the two best workers in the company. So he'd love to work with them every day for the rest of his life. Uh, he mentioned the top Japanese guys, and that's I could give two shits and a whistle whether I ever see any of those matches or not, because I don't care. But I would love to see Punk and Danielson. You know, it, 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 he was nice enough to say, oh, there's 30 guys, but he could only name a few. And there's uh, there's really, God damn, who do you, I mean, there's guys that you could want to see Punk wrestle because he will have a good match with them and he will elevate them and they might come out, you know, looking better than they did before. But of the actual alleged main event guys in the company right now, who's in line for a title shot and who could be put in line very quickly for a title shot against CM Punk. Everybody else is involved in shit. Everybody wins as much as they lose, lose as much as they win. Is there a clear person besides the thought is in everybody's mind is Danielson because he's so fucking good. Who else would it be that would draw any money? Well, they just had Danielson lose to Jericho, so obviously they're setting him up for the world title, clearly. Well, yeah, and, yeah, and also, and that's another thing. By the time he gets to Punk, he's been beat by Jericho in a garbage match for no reason. But notice Punk didn't say Jericho. He didn't even say Omega. He had a very well, interesting he? list he, of guys he wants there. To, he wants to draw money and have good matches. He doesn't want to have his popularity sapped by a chameleon, nor does he want to get into interpretive ballet. No, the other name I was listening to hear if he would say would be Samoa Joe. Because that's still one of the ones, even though they booked Joe like shit well, so far, yeah. it's one of the ones I'm still intrigued to see after all these years. That would be interesting. Also. And maybe he just, you know, unfortunately, maybe he's just watching the TV and going, well, Joe's nowhere near ready for this. And oh, by the way, he just lost earlier. And I don't mean Joe's not ready talent-wise. I mean, the way they booked right. him, the way they presented right. him. And then they just beat him earlier with a goddamn small child. So anyway, I, I, I can see why he might not have brought Joe's name into that. Well, the next bit of audio I want to play for you is Tony Khan by himself before Chris Jericho came in talking about what we talked about earlier, the NBA, the percentages for Game 7, and as Jace put here in the notes... Just rambling and getting wide-eyed and more bombastic. So <laughs> let's play a little bit of this, but it'll get into some of what we said was Tony's strategy and some of his thoughts about the length of the card and how the card went. It's a great night, guys. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'll get to catch you after Chris comes in. We can catch up at length, too. It's been, it's been a real special night. Just before Chris comes in, some notes I'll drop that are interesting. So this is the record for Double or Nothing. All, four, all of our pay-per-views continue the streak. All of the pay-per-view franchises have been up year over year. All out, every all out's been higher than the year before. Every full gear's been higher than the year before. Every revolution. Lots of things are higher than they before. were. And in part due to all of you, and I'll just say that again at the end, but I really appreciate you all being here and disseminating and helping build uh, interest among the fans for this. Uh, if you don't know, 
I talked about it with other media during the week. Is Chris coming in? By the way, I'm ready. I'm Chris. Whenever you're ready. Whenever you're ready. Okay. And uh, just to, I'll, I'll drop the stat again maybe later, but it looked increasingly likely that there might be a game seven this this weekend. And when we planned, had I gone Saturday, it was actually more likely that the Warriors would have played because the Warriors would have been game six. And a game six is far more likely than a game seven. And actually, there was only a 28.1% chance of a game seven. So, but what the series the was going on 28.1% chance. So about 72% of the time, you're not going to get it. So I was playing the odds when I booked this. It looked like the game seven was less likely. And we've always done better on pay-per-view on Sundays, especially with a holiday week and Memorial day. So with a 28% chance, I thought we had a pretty good chance as the series went on. I was like, Oh gosh. So I came up with a plan uh, <laughs> that I think worked really well. And uh, the person in here is a big part of it because the last three matches were the hottest three matches of the night, arguably at the end of a show that because I pushed the buy-in to a later start, uh, you know, and, and tried to make sure we had really special stuff with Anarchy in the arena and, of course, the world tag title and then the world championship matches. At the end of the night, we saw record buys and we did get late buys, which was part of the strategy because I thought people would know the game's over and there's still, hey, there's fans gathered at home, friends gathered, families gathered watching sports. Hey, what the heck? These matches are on and then Anarchy in the arena gets going. People hear it's nuts. Tell your friends. Oh tell your friend, world tag title. Is you can that still a catch thing? Do people get stuff. together as a family to watch the NBA finals? How many people get together with their friends? You may have their friends come over. I've done that. He's for talking about the family. You got all your kids. You got the dog there. Hey, NBA. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. It's just like the Wizard of Oz's annual airing on television. Go ahead. Play me more of people on Twitter are calling Tony Khan either Tony Yayo, the cocaine cowboy, or Herb Abrams Jr. I don't think it was Coke, but let's go back to this. If you missed a lot of the favorite, whenever Chris comes in, I'm ready to, I can answer this later, but you know, a lot of my favorite pay-per-views are like 13, 14, and they're great to rewatch. Like uh, how many times have I watched uh, WrestleMania 17, which is like 13 matches. How many times now they're a little bit shorter. And now some of the 12, 13, <laughs> which I think Chris could, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, you know, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I think people are going to watch it over and over again. It was a big success for us commercially. And I think the fans at the end proved it was it was uh, the right move, uh, holding stuff out, holding hot stuff, and uh, commercially a success. And I, I heard a lot of you like the matches a lot, and the stuff at the end uh, got the response we were hoping for. And I think the whole show was great. Um, and I, uh, do you guys have Chris? Okay. And then Lay Champion, the first champion, uh, coming back to where we did this for the first time. It's a different building, but it's cool to be back here and. Uh, after Chris is here, I'll stay with you guys until you get all your stuff answered and talk to you. But it's really a, a very special, uh, crazy day. And uh, I, like I said, I put stuff in later in the week knowing uh, that as the series went on, it was like, okay, this is going to happen. I'm going to stack the card up. And I felt like starting later, it was about revolution. It was probably similar bell to bell time because the revolution, the buy-in started near the top of the hour. And we went with that Leyland Statlander at a very good match. And then later, the House of Black had a good match. I mean, the hook matches were, you know, they would have been like if we kept the hook match and pushed those other matches into the pay-per-view with the West Coast start. So it was actually probably a very similar bell-to-bell -bell time. Oh, my God. But I think it got more into the pay-per-view window. And that's I've talked to Dana and, and Hunter and the people at UFC. I mean, I think Dana runs the best business and sports pay-per-view probably history and certainly the most consistent winner. And they put on long pay-per-views. I mean, Punk and Hangman went into the ring far earlier than any UFC main event or big boxing main event in this town. And uh, I was here in, in, not here, I was in the MGM Grand 10 years ago when Pacquiao and Bradley fought. And you, I mean, they didn't, they smartly held back because, and think about it. Look, like 
it's no secret to the sponsor of the show. The Does anybody have Chris? And they <laughs> were not. We advertised that people had action, and I think they saw the most of any of the matches we promoted through them. And he doesn't that, blink too to have like people get out of the Heat Celtics game and then be able to go back because the title sponsored the company that's like the biggest sponsor we have right now, and they happen to work with UFC and other big companies. Uh, like you know, with what they've done, I think it made sense to get out of the Heat Celtics game for them. And uh, speaking of a guy that. Uh, ended this with the hottest last three matches I think we've ever done on any pay-per-view and, and was a huge part of why this was a huge night and one of the best things we've ever done. He's been big from the beginning. <laughs> um, let me pause it right there. He gets oh up to hug God. Chris Jericho. Does he ever admit when anything is the shits? Or is has he got people believing that everything they do is good? Everything I hear, oh, it's the greatest thing we've ever done. Even the shit that obviously sucked pond water. I think the only time he's admitted anything is the shit is when Big Swole clapped back at him and then he said, listen to this. Eve, remember they even had a fucking excuse for when the ring didn't blow up. I was the heel that did it. or what? I. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. He's, I'm very, just, he's passionate. He's very passionate about he's, this. Yeah, he's passionate and he's a nervous wreck and somebody needs to put him in a rubber room at the puzzle factory before he hurts himself in some fashion. I'm going to try to find here some audio of Chris Jericho. Oh, seriously? Here's Chris Jericho. Let me go to this. What, did, what could he have had to say for himself after that abomination that he took part in? Let's go to this. I believe this is about the anarchy in the arena extravaganza. Uh, we had to record the whole thing in an empty stadium, obviously. Then last year was kind of a combination of the stadium stampede and then a live, uh, the finish was in the live arena. So when we were talking about what are we going to do this time, we thought about a couple different things, a couple different names, and then we just said let's make it kind of a stadium stampede but in the live arena. I was standing in the back. We were standing in the back in the arena, and literally I said, like, well, arena anarchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, shit. Anarchy well, then you ended up going to anarchy in the arena. Yeah. It was better, but it was just like we were looking. Uh, it was a great choice. Yeah, we wanted to do something with that spirit but transpose it into the live arena. Now, a street fight is a street fight, but we said what, let's just go completely over the top and also keeping in mind that we have 10 people and only so many cameras and we got to keep it where the fans can kind of still see what's going on so lost that I fight was <laughs> we came here on thursday and just started talking about it and that's when i started thinking like okay this is gonna be really cool and then being out there and feeling it, i think people really enjoyed it and i think the where he placed where tony placed it in the show was very smart because it was the right place to kind of put the money mark over the last you know third of, of the whole show let me stop it there for a second. You say Tony Khan can't admit if anything's wrong. He does a better job of that than Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho thinks every idea he has is a great idea, and Tony well, Khan and not nods only along. That, not only that, but here's the... And by the way, Chris, I washed my hands of you a while back for being a Trump-sucking religious nut, but now you can't even have any integrity about the wrestling business. You're just like the rest of these jack-offs. You're going to go, oh, we had this idea, and we all talked about it together. And we sat down, and we came up with all these cool things to do in this fake shit that we do for all of you. And what a performance. And it's all my idea, but it was all fake, too. And it just... It, fuck. It, they've all lost their fucking minds. And if they ever do accidentally have a match that people kind of halfway believe and it looks somewhat professionally done, they'll still go out there and talk about how they came up with all these entertaining things to fake do for the people's entertainment.
Can you imagine Vince McMahon and or Steve Austin and or The Rock and or The Undertaker sitting down there telling the fans how fake the show that they just put on was? Or would you think that they are not so egotistical that they have to let everybody know that it was their idea even when it sucked and they just let the fucking thing draw money on its own? But that's professionals instead of egotists and amateurs. I'm disgusted by everybody involved. Sure. Because of the way this match was went and everything like this, do you think this can be like one of your company's signature matches, like where you do it once a year or every 18 months or, you know, something you go back to? As like kind of one of your regular, I think it's events. a more sustainable solution than Stadium Stampede. Yeah. I think he, we like Chris is the master of reinvention, and I think like once again, like putting heads together and with like Chris's great mind, we like reinvented oh. and did something, and now we have anarchy in the arena. And you know, we, we, were, we were very proud of Stadium Stampede. We said like we were originally thinking maybe we should call it that, but it's a new version of it. But then we said that that was a product of its time. Maybe we'll revisit it, but now we can do an anarchy in the arena whenever the time is right, no matter what time of the of the year it is. Oh, good God. Thank you. Um, my favorite part of the match is the song playing through most of the match. That was his favorite part. Who is this fucking weasel speaking? I'm not exactly sure, but by the way, what journalist begins their question, but my favorite part was this. Yes, my, my favorite part of the coup of the government in El Salvador was when they came out and played the record. And then whose idea was to kill it? So I think when we were talking about it originally, we were kind of like um, hearkening back to New Jack when his music would play throughout his matches, which kind of took away the fact that there was just basically plunder and just garbage. Which took away the fact that it was a garbage match with nothing going on. Added some excitement to it. (laughs) So we thought, okay, so if we can play the music for the first like third of the match, that will kind of sustain it to where people see like it's just kind of basic. Well, not the thing was basic, but just kind of like until we get to some of these bigger moments, I think because no one's ever done that here in AW or anywhere mm. since then, it's kind of uh, it kind of makes it seem different. It makes it different. And then I thought, well, this is great, and I'll be the you know the, the party pooper who hates this song, and well, let's break the soundboard. So let's put a, a soundboard thing up there, and we'll break it. And that was my favorite part too. Like as soon as we hit the ground, it goes off. And like I was telling Tony, I was like, I love wrestling. <laughs> I, st- I still love oh my God. moments like this. Yes, it's comic, but it's it's like the asshole heel just hates music. And it's like, I'm going to smash this. No, we were all screaming, stop that, that fucking music. You did us a favor. You fucking so I, kind of- die, die. I hope you die. <laughs> oh, you die, you motherfuckers. <laughs> you don't love wrestling. You hate wrestling. You shit in wrestling's face. What else did he have to say? Uh, let me uh, go forward a little bit more, but. There are his general thoughts on anarchy. I also like the idea that we're supposed to think Jericho's an old curmudgeon who hates music. That's how we were supposed to take that? I don't know what the fuck they're thinking about. And again, if they did get anybody, any simpleton that would believe their logic bereft, nonsensical fucking wrestling matches, then they'll come out and spoil it for that one knucklehead by telling him it was all fake, too. What in the world have we come to here where you go out and legitimately try to hurt yourself and other people and then tell everybody afterwards it was all fucking bunch of bullshit? 
Well, Jericho, I got another question later on from Brian Alvarez asking about Jericho's amazing ability to get things over and reinvent himself and his many ideas. <sighs> Brian Alvarez. Yes. Hey, buddy. I'm, uh, I'm intrigued at your ability to get things over. <laughs> and uh, I've noticed that, like, Brian Danielson will come up with an idea of something that he wants to get over. Like, he saw the yes thing from... Uh, right. Yes, and but it seems to me that you will do something, and then you will see that there's an ability to get that over. Like when the belt got stolen, and you did the promo in the hot tub, and you mentioned the bubbly. I don't think that you, at the time, and you can correct me. No, there was no bubbly, yeah. Yeah, I don't. Th well, I don't think you had the idea that I'm going to get over this phrase, the bubbly. Right. But you saw that it got over, and then you went with it. Mm. So how would you... I just kind of want to know the way that your mind works. Would you say that the majority of the things that you get over, the list, the bubbly, <laughs> I mean, you can go throughout your career, were these things that you, I, I'm going to get this list over. I'm going to get this bubbly over. Like, is it kind of like a Danielson thing where you have it's, this idea of something you want to get over? Or are most of your ideas, something happens and you just think, man, I can go it. with this. I think one thing that I'm pretty good at is just reading the room. <laughs> Stopping it there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> One of Jericho's top talents, reading the room. My God, I just can't. Do all of the journalists, all six of them that come into this room, do they bring their own baby oil for these hand jobs or are they given a, a bottle of baby oil when they come in? I will say from watching this last night, it does appear that a lot of people are there as fans who have a place where they write about wrestling as opposed to people who consider this something to be treated seriously. When you begin by saying what your favorite matches were, or I like this or that, I'm not exactly sure if that's how it's supposed to go. But it's, it's, it's not a hostile room. No, not at all, and especially not for Chris Jericho, but let's go back to his brilliant answer. Because um, I've had a lot of things like where like I, I thought like oh, oh, GFY that's a good one and then the same <laughs> night Mox came out and literally said go fuck yourself and it's like well that one's done, um, but no one was really getting into it. You're kind of swimming upstream. But for example, like like the wizard, for example, all it was was throwing the fireball. I'm a wizard, and I start seeing people like okay they're making gifts of Chris Jericho with a Gandalf. And Chris Jericho's face on Gandalf, or oh like boy. all these cartoons, or Dragon Ball Z, and it's like, oh, this this is interesting. They, <laughs> they, they like this Jericho's so face on Gandalf's times, body. Would anybody have noticed? <laughs> Hold on, you're interrupting right, a genius. Just, yeah, 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 fucking wizard. genius. Yeah. And, and little kids now, they're supposing videos. So what are, you, what are you? I'm a wizard. Oh, now we have something. So that's why we did the fireball last week. Just Harry Potter has guy, nothing to do with that. You don't have to do it much, but just doing it a second time, now it's Chris Jericho's. I'm a wizard. My dad said, how did you do that fireball? I said, I'm a wizard. I'm a wizard, Dad. He's like, well, dude, do you want one? It's in my hands. So <clears throat> that's kind of what you just read the room and kind of see. Like, people don't bring signs anymore. You notice that? Yeah. I noticed that a couple of weeks ago. Nobody brings, back in the day, signs everywhere. That's how you could tell. Jimmy Hart would always say, you can't make people write You know signs. why? You know it's hard? Why? You can't hold your sign in your phone. Good call. Same time. That's a good point. Good point. <laughs> Everyone's always got their phone in so their hand. So you used to be able to read the signs. That is a good point. And now what you do is read social media. And you see kind of what's moving and what's shaking. And then, you know, we maybe put out a t-shirt, see how it does. Oh, it's the number one seller of the week. Okay, now we have something. So I think it's basically just reading, reading the climate of the room and kind of hearing what people do and just... 
that I'm, I'm pretty good at that. And instincts, instinct is good as well. A lot of, I mean, 32 years of doing this, I have a real kind of good feel as to what people are into or what they might be into. And most of the time I'm right. Not all the time, but most of the time I'm right. Even Jericho Appreciation Society, when I told Tony that one, he bit on it right away. Cause he, he, and I was like, dude, he was like, oh, this is great. he bit like, on it. <laughs> I first said that. Huge outrage. Jericho Appreciation, that's terrible. It's terrible. I was like, okay, stop. I'm in charge. You should have called the Inner Circle 2.0. Right? No, 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 no. That's it. terrible. And then here we are now, Jericho And the sports Society. entertainment. And the sports entertainment. I leaned thing. into sports entertainment as soon as you said one. it. Oh, what a genius. Right. What a genius. And it leaned so perfect into Brian Danielson, Mox. Well, that was another thing, too. To quick, I'm sorry I'm telling. I know you guys have been here a long time. No, it's great. But, they love so it. we were in Bridgeport, and Eddie Kingston and I had a face-to-face promo. And he was great because he came in there and said, you know, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't want to talk. This is pro wrestling. You want sports entertainment? Go down the road. Huge reaction. Oh, that's interesting. They don't like sports entertaining. They don't like sports entertainer. Who knew? Hmm. Who could have Call figured this guy? out? Messy, weird question. Sports entertainer trademarked? Nope. Is now. So that's kind of why I was like, it's perfect. And then the, like, like he just said with the Blackpool Combat Club, and then suddenly they're connected because of Eddie and Mox, and none of you guys saw it coming, which made me laugh so hard. All the smart minds in the room, nobody saw this. It's five on three. It's five on three. Okay, it's getting old. These guys got to do something. Blackpool Combat Club. Oh, it's getting old. They're going to do something. You never saw the connection that it was coming to a head? We came up with oh, that boy. three months prior. But it's like I said, it all connects. <laughs> yes, connects. we plan everything uh, out ahead of time, ladies and gentlemen, because we're all a bunch of fucking phonies. Can you cut this motherfucker off? He has become right. Kenny Omega. If you hear the way he talks about yes, himself. Yes, he's, he's even doing stuff. the breathy phone sex voice. Yeah. He's an art- artiste. And, well, I guess, you know, that'll be the next thing. He'll try to fucking be Twinkle Toes 2.0 and sap some of his fans if he's got any left. Uh, my God, my God, my God. What stunning revelation is it that wrestling fans hate sports entertainment? Wrestling fans have hated sports entertainment ever since Vince came up with the idea. And we continue to talk about that. And that's why that uh, so many people were insulted by and, and incensed by AEW because we were promised our sports-based wrestling and we got outlaw bullshit. Just a different kind of outlaw bullshit than we get over in the WWE. But it's still outlaw bullshit. There ain't no sports in any of this entertainment. And they lied. At least Vince said flat out, no, we're not going to give you good fucking violent, bloody fucking pro wrestling that you can believe. We're going to give you a bunch of horse shit so you'll buy ice cream bars. But Tony lied to us. No, we're not going to do that sports-based presentation with middle schoolers and legless people and Rick Knox, the fucking floating corpse referee and phony shit that we think about three months ahead of time. And then we'll tell you about it. Why do they, nobody watches this shit anymore and everybody wonders why. Well, one uh, last thing before we end the media scrum audio, at least one last thing. Here is, rather briefly, Tony Khan on the MJF situation. Tony, Nick Housen with Wrestling Inc. Yeah, Nick, what's up, buddy? I'll ask you what literally everybody wants me to ask you, which is, from your perspective, what happened with MJF this weekend? I'm not going to comment on that, uh, but I've got a lot of stuff on the pay-per-view I can comment on, but I'm not going to comment on that. All right, well, <laughs> 
What do you think of his answer there? Um, again, who knows? Who knows with this? If I, if I had to bet, I would say that MJF has figured that I can't let Tony Khan in on what I'm doing because he'll spoil it all and tell everybody I'm fake. So he's gone into business for himself because he's the only one with a fucking brain and he's creating more attention about and around himself than ever before, including he stole the pay-per-view, but it was petty theft. So I'm pretty sure that probably Tony does. I don't know what to say because I'm going to look like an idiot because I don't know what's going to happen. If he's mad at MJF, then whatever MJF is doing is probably working because since Tony can't work, he's got to be mad to carry it off or else why is he just says nothing because he don't know what to say. I don't know, but I have, I have all the, Faith in the world that MJF will get as much attention as humanly possible out of this. I don't have any faith in anybody else being involved in it or a part of it, because elsewise, then it'll go south, because everybody else is an amateur. Jim, let me play one last bit of audio, because this ties into what we asked about earlier, and I'm going to probably have to cut this off, because I think it just goes and goes, so I will stop it at some point. But Tony Khan talking about the length of the show. (laughs) Follow up with something maybe you will comment on is, as Punk alluded to, uh, sort of longer than average show. I had a lot of people hitting me up saying they felt fatigued, especially on the East Coast where the show ended after midnight. Is this the kind of length of show you're going to continue to put out? I will follow the feedback of the fans. It was pretty similar. Revolution had a great response, and commercially the show was very successful. Like I said before uh, Chris came in, I was starting to say, there was, it was a little bit different, and I ended up uh, adding a little bit to the length of the show to help the show commercially and help the show make money. And I think it made, uh, if not a seven-figure difference, definitely a six-figure difference in the bottom line of the show. And so that's a big consideration, certainly, and a major financial consideration when Game 7. Like I said, it was probably only a 28% chance of the Game 7. It was far more likely if I'd booked the show Saturday that there would have been a game, and it would have been the Warriors who were a big draw. And uh, so the Game 7 only happens 28.1% of the time, 72% of the time. This would have been a pretty easy thing. And on the West Coast, I probably would have ended it around the time they always end. Every pay-per-view is ended between the same time until tonight. They've all ended. We've had a lot of the best pay-per-views anybody's done. They've all ended between uh, 11.40 <laughs> and 11.55-ish. Uh, let me, yes, like, every single goddamn one's been too long, uh, on the you East fucking pea-brain like moron. So this is about the same amount of wrestling bell-to-bell as the revolution. The difference is, I was starting to say, Layla and Chris Statlander had a long, great match before Layla got hurt uh, on the first match of the buy-in in Orlando, which was on the East Coast for the fans. And I think, I thought the fans were far more, uh, like, I, like from that I learned, probably better to put the stuff in the pay-per-view. I thought the crowd, this was the best... If people were fatigued at home, I'm sorry because I never intended it to be that way. But it was the best <laughs> the fans in the arena have ever reacted for the last three matches of any pay-per-view we've ever done, Nick. And I've done... 13 of them now. And plus, oh, golly. Fight for the Fallen Fighter Fest, which were, we were free, but um, inter- they were free domestically. I think they were still international pay per views, but I think our overall international gets a good deal on pay per view prices. So uh, I think. What um, in the world? I'm going to stop it there. He yeah. is he's flying high, and I don't think it's Coke. I know my Coke heads. I don't think it's Coke. I. I <sighs> This is what you've got. You've got this guy who is uh, obviously a 
savant, let's say, one of those savant types with numbers. Of course, he fucked up there. 28.1% chance. It doesn't equal a 72% chance on the other side. It's 71.9. But nevertheless, around that Scott Steiner math promo, this guy's a basket case, and he he's an amateur, and he's got a bunch of money, and nobody will tell him he's got no clothes on, and everybody puts over his great ideas, and he puts over their great ideas, and meanwhile, they're milking him for fucking hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars, and this whole thing has the direction of a goddamn boulder rolling down a fucking cliff. Here's a question for you. This is an hour and eight minutes into a two-hour and 14-minute media scrum following the pay-per-view event. Oh, damn it. They can't stop, can they? So this ended around 3 a.m. on the East Coast, a little after 3 a.m. on the East Coast. There's an hour left in this, more than an hour, we're not going to listen to. If I randomly pick the moment to drop the needle on, A, do you think Tony's talking, and B, what do you think he's talking about? He's talking about his greatness and his great ideas and his pay-per-view buy rates, and he's definitely talking. I'm going to try this now. Here's 117.44. Nothing staying in Vegas forever, and I think they showed why. They uh, Here's another one. Going back to that and how busy I was around that time. We're getting ready for the NFL draft. So, uh, and uh, so it was, it's, a, it's a lot, but um, you guys never heard this story. They only allowed 10 people in the entire amphitheater as a fire. So it was... What? It was Tony Schiavone at the desk. I was the only person backstage. They said the truck is a separate domicile. Let me stop this for a second. He's talking about the pandemic era shows, the very first ones. They were at only 3 allowed, o'clock in the morning. They were only allowed 10 people there. Yeah, this is the kind of things people talk about at media scrums at 3 in the morning. So, Greg, you were out in the truck. There were 10 of you in the truck. We had a, I set up a trailer of wrestlers and, uh, and you know, killing it. And I remember Dr. Martha Hart and her family, Oj Hart and Athena Hart. It was, I think, one of the most successful shows Ring of Honor had done, and also a big. I really appreciate you asking that because I flew out to London uh, on uh, British Airways, and then I flew back to Atlanta with Austin. I was up there, and that's how I made the connection. All right, there it is, Tony Khan. If you a... play one more quote from Tony <laughs> Khan, I'm going to sue you, you son of a bitch. You're going to sue me. I know just the man you can call. Well, then play his music and get him in here. And folks, I'll tell you what, if you have purchased something that will never end, no matter how much you want it to, it goes on and on and on forever. And it's not indeed what you thought you were purchasing, but instead indeed what you got foisted off on you. You need legal recourse. Not only that, but if somebody has fired you wrongfully, has assaulted you wrongfully, is there a right way to assault somebody? If somebody has stolen something from you or in other ways harmed you or your immediate family, one of the greatest personal injury attorneys, one of the greatest attorneys in general, one of the greatest human beings on the face of the planet is indeed, and I'm talking about this planet, Earth, not even one of those that don't have so many people on it. Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. He's a philanthropist. He is philanthropist. 
of most people in the state of West Virginia, and now he's branching out where he'll philanthrop people in your home state. He gives money to kids for sports. He supports the arts. He gives money to homeless people, and he feeds the hungry, and he's also gotten nearly $100 million in judgments for people just like you, the the, the rank-and-file American who has been put upon and downtrodden and had something go on that they needed somebody to fight for them and be on their side, and that's what he's done. Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. And as we've heard from so many of the testimonials of the cult of Cornet, not only does he stay awake at three and four o'clock in the morning watching bad wrestling and answering the phone, but he'll get back to you. And if he can't get you out of the predicament you're in, he might know somebody who can. So for all those reasons and many more, we must support the consigliere of the cult of Cornet, Stephen P. New. Get even with Stephen. If you need to sue, call Stephen P. Newt. That's right. Well, Jim, let's get a couple quick questions before we wrap things up here this week. We're going to do a song next week. We won't do any songs this week because we've been running pretty long. We stayed up pretty late. and some Well, if, if you want me to, I can sing something. I, no, I can, sing, I can no. sing acapella. No, no, thank you. We've yeah. heard enough of that. Acapella. Oh, acapella. Acapella. Well, Jim, one of the questions that many listeners have sent in over the last week what are your thoughts on the news that came out that The Rock's daughter, her name in WWE is going to be changed to Ava Rain? <laughs> I didn't hear this news. What? The Rock's daughter, I believe her name is Simone Johnson. She is signed with WWE, and they have officially announced her name is going to be Ava Rain. It, her name is not... If, if she's not going to use Simone Johnson and they're not going to use Little Rock or Little Pebble or Female Pebble or whatever, what the fuck is she even there for? What? She's the daughter of the most famous wrestler in the goddamn history of the company now, currently, since he's the biggest movie star in the world, and they're going to change her name so that you don't automatically know she is the Rock's daughter. What other reason is to have to, there to have the Rock's daughter on the card? But then, but she's the Rock's daughter. Well, I'm reading some quotes here from uh, Twitter. I believe this may actually be her. Yeah, I mean it's a verified account at Ava Rain WWE. I probably sound like a broken record, and hopefully this is the last time I'll mention this but I don't understand why people being portrayed as separate individuals from their family name is such a heated topic. A name doesn't discredit any prior accomplishments from my family. And then she subtweeted that or retweeted that with a comment here. I could build my entire career around my father and people would still bash me anyway. So what? she seems to be on board with this, the idea of changing the name and not really Overtly well, I don't care whether she's on board or not. If I'm a promoter, she's my last fucking concern. She's a rookie wrestler who's never done anything to anybody, for anybody, or against anybody, and nobody gives a shit. Except that she is the daughter of the most famous wrestler in the world. And so as the promoter, I want everybody from Pakistan to Poughkeepsie to know that if she's on the card, she's The Rock's daughter. Come see The Rock's daughter. If Mick Jagger had a son, 
that was going to be the goddamn lead singer of a rock group, would he hide the fact that he was Mick Jagger's son if nobody had ever heard of his fucking group? Maybe he would, but the people promoting him wouldn't. Hey, Charlotte Flair. Exactly. That is so, And Charlotte, let's give it to her. She's one of the best in-ring performers in the business on the female side. And she still uses her dad's name because it helps get her over. I don't know whether The Rock's daughter is going to be good, bad, or indifferent. But right now, she's probably going to be the shits. Because she's never done this. And she's going to be green. And, hey, The Rock picked things up quite quickly. But, you know, let's not just expect this as a, you know, family habit. So if I'm the promoter, if I'm the company, I want everybody to know by not just by explaining it to them, but by the advertising. If I see the ad in the paper, if I hear the announcement on the radio, I want to hear Simone Johnson, daughter of the rock. I don't want to hear Ava rain. That is, you know, that means nothing. I fuck. All right, Jim, our next question sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from Travis Blankenship in Dayton, Ohio. Jim, do you remember the first autograph you ever signed for a fan? Vaguely. And did you sign autographs when you were a manager in Memphis ever, even though you were heel? Um, well, vaguely, I remember the first one because it was when I was still a photographer and somebody wanted me to sign one of the championship wrestling magazines. As far as when I was a talent, well, for one thing, most people weren't asking for my autograph because I was a heel. And in the bigger buildings, like they couldn't get to you to see you come in and out of the Mid-South Coliseum, and they couldn't really get close to you at the gardens, the setup that we had at the time, because they'd had problems back in the alleyway and the parking lot across the street and everything. In Evansville, there was hardly any people there to begin with. I would get asked every once in a while at spot shows. We're in a small town. Everybody's a celebrity if you're on TV to those people, even the junior manager. And if it was behind the building where there wasn't a lot of people seeing me do it, yeah, I'd do it, especially if it was a kid, which I was only 20, so there wasn't a big age difference. But truthfully, I didn't sign a lot of fucking autographs in Memphis, both because I wasn't really anybody, and also because most people didn't ask heels for their autograph. In Mid-South, I started signing a few more, and I wouldn't do it again in front of Grizzly Smith necessarily or, or you know, anybody from the office or if there was a lot of people around, but especially since now I was a main event guy and many of the people asking were female, I was a little more... Uh, cooperative and easy to deal with. Did security guards ever ask for autographs or back then, did they ever want to take pictures with you, even though you were a heel? Well, back then there wasn't a lot of picture taken because nobody had a fucking camera. I mean, the fans had like a, an Instamatic camera and you had to get the film developed, but the cops didn't come with a camera to work or, you know, people at radio stations didn't just have cameras all over the place. So you didn't take a ton of pictures except 
again with the fans out in the parking lot and ours was a small minority of people that would do that because we were heels and you know so there was a very small group if any in any given town that would wait around for the heels and try to talk to them and generally many of them were female so that's why they got a lot of conversation uh but but it no it the picture taking thing wasn't a big thing till everybody had a camera in their pocket Jim, our final question this week sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Alex in Louisville. Hmm. Was listening to your critique of Jeff Hardy versus Adam Cole on Dynamite, and you made note of Jeff doing a left-handed body slam. You then went on to say how weird it was and how nobody would think to do a body slam like that. My question is, why? Why is that so weird? <laughs> Is it something wrestlers are just trained not to do for some reason? What happens if the guy is naturally left-handed? Doesn't matter. I just found it very odd that nobody would ever do a left-handed body slam. No, okay, Terry Funk was left-handed, and it... Terry Funk's one of the great workers in the business. He overcame it. Usually being left-handed is a uh, handicap that you have to work around or get past to be able to work with most people. But Terry was great. But at the same time, he threw left-handed punches, but he never did a left-handed body slam. Not only is it nobody in any wrestling school has ever been taught to do a left-handed body slam. And I'm talking using your left arm to reach through the guy's legs and have your right arm under his chin over his shoulder instead of the other way around because then the the same th- the way that you're taught to take it immediately reverses and it's awkward it was like i saw something like this hulk hogan for whatever reason did right arm suplexes a vertical suplex he would hook the guy's head with his right arm grab the guy's trunks with his left hand and take him up. And I always thought that must be the most disorienting thing for the guy up in the air because it's completely mirror image of the way that anybody else would do it. And with a slam, it's even worse because you're trying to figure out on the fly how to post up from the opposite side and how to, and it, it just... It would fuck you. I don't know how to explain how bizarre that is to somebody who asks why is that bizarre because I know it's it's a fan who's never been in a training session, never been in a ring, never worked, but my guy it just looks odd, but think of the guy being picked up and trying to figure out on the fly where do I put everything like this while he's being turned over in, in the air and slammed down to the mat and try not to land on his head. It just, I, it, help me, Brian. Why don't you stare into the sun for minutes at a time with your eyes open? Well, who the fuck would even try to do that? Besides Trump. How many new students in a wrestling school, because they don't know any better and maybe they are left-handed, how many of them come in and think that is the way? Or do people usually right away go right to doing things with their right hand? I would think by the time you get in, I don't remember seeing it in a training session. And I know I wasn't in a lot of the from scratch sessions with just every jack off that wandered in the door. But I don't, I would think if you've made the commitment to go to wrestling school, you've watched enough matches that you kind of know how to fucking body slam somebody. I could be wrong. 
But if, but maybe no, they're watching just, too much lucha because lucha everything's on the left side, right? Do they even body? They just well, they work the left uh, the other arm. They work the the right arm instead of the left arm, and everything's that uh, they get right-handed headlocks. But do they even body slam people the other way? I don't know. Now I have to check. Because and think about the I don't even know. I've been body slammed easily a thousand times. And I don't know if somebody grabbed me the other way, if I'd be able to figure out how to go up for it. It just completely throws everything off. Well, speaking of throwing everything off. Or out. Or out. And with that, the drive-thru has closed. Hold on, I got a few instruments here. Let's go to this one. Oh, that was pleasant. Of course, we'll be back this weekend on the... On the Jim Cornette Experience, wherever you find your favorite podcast. And next week, right back here on the drive-thru, you can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Don't forget about the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. It'll come right up. Full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections all with the exclusive and popular Travis Heckle artwork, the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. If you want access to classic episodes of the drive through and the experience, patreon.com slash Cornette. For $5 a month, you get access to the archive going back to the beginning in 2013. Patreon.com slash Cornette. Of course, don't forget about Cornette's collectibles at jimcornette.com. What should they not forget about, Jim? I don't know. I'm still trying to visualize in my mind's eye how to go up the other way for a body slam, and I can't figure it out. Continue. At JimCornette.com. Of course, the drive-thru is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at NewLawOffice.com. But until this weekend on The Experience, and next week right back here on the drive-thru, for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! If his left arm was under your crotch, then your left arm would... It's not possible. Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fucking Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them dork order bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his millions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. We pledge allegiance to the leader of the mighty cult of Cornets. And to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines with blood, sellouts, 
and shoot angles are on. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you. Steven, Pietro, everybody. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.